0: Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Ned Baker, and I told you to take the wizard's stuff.
1: (laughs) That was a good impression. I am Caroline Sita, and I'm excited to spend two hours discussing a man opening a couple doors. (laughs) that's as long as I anticipate us going on that iconic scene.
0: Yeah, there's some iconic doors to cover today. And that is because I would like to welcome everyone back for the second installment of our first ever Roll Calling Holiday special series. The way this podcast usually works is that Caroline and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. But this holiday season, we're shaking things up with our three-part discussion of the ensemble acting in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Today, part two the two towers and coming back to us now at the turn of the tide after joining us last year for our james bond no time to die episode is podcaster joe cunningham welcome back joe hey guys thank you for having me
1: joe we only have you on for like three hour long films that are epic in a british and or new zealand way
0: action franchises also yeah there's some yeah. theme here got a
2: type when it comes to this podcast um, <laughs> and also good movies let's say yeah great good movies yeah
0: yeah same as last week we weren't burying the lead here this is not about us critically deciding whether or not we like the lord of the rings films i think we're all sort of coming in you know fr- from an established place of of enthusiastic fandom which was which was the case for two of us on our James Bond podcast, um, <laughs> two two enthusiastic fandoms and one uh, like solid registered meh. But uh, <laughs> but um, not this time. Not this time. No, we are we are here and excited to jump back into the sweet Lord of the Rings. So we've talked a little bit about our personal histories with it. But uh, Joe, can you tell us anything about your history with this franchise?
2: Yeah. So I was, I think. 11 or 12 when the first movie came out and um i had read the hobbit when i was younger nice and loved it but i, I think just probably was uh, like eva was like not aware of the existence of lord of the rings as a book that i could read after it or, or maybe it was just like my parents thinking well maybe when he's a bit older and and then the movies were coming around and i was like oh that's oh i know i know Bilbo baggins when I saw the trailer and I was like, OK, went to see it on New Year's Eve with my parents. My parents taking me to see it on New Year's Eve that first year and just like going, oh, my God, what is this? This is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like that Hobbit book that I knew, but so much bigger and, and just with endless like threads of excitement and just being completely spellbound by Fellowship. Between that that movie and the second movie ke- coming out, I went and read all the books. And then so I was wow. super primed when Two Towers came out. I was like, right, okay, now I'm excited to see what's in the books. Um, and obviously, like, the way that the books are split versus the movies is, like, quite different. And the Two Towers book is cut in half as well. And Helm's Deep is kind of a, a big moment. But in the middle, I seem to remember. Mm-hmm. But, you know, loved it. Went back and saw the th- the third one. I think I saw all of them multiple times in cinemas and then was very excited when they started to come out in DVD and there was these promised, like, extended editions. I was like, oh my God, more of this. And yeah, I was fully the nerdy kid who got all of the extended editions on DVD and dug through all of the, like, you know, the, the like, vast, vast, um... Special features, which there were literally like maps inside the booklets with the extended editions that would like map out how to how to navigate the special features because there were so many of them, <laughs> uh, and so I kind of watched them fairly regularly as a teenager, and then flash forward like five, ten years, and at university I started uh, like a bit of a tradition with one of my friends at uni um, of watching. All three Lord of the Rings extended editions back to back in a single day. And we did that for the first time at university, I think, over the past like so it would be like ten or fifteen years now. We've done it maybe five times. Um With respect. Sometimes, you know, getting increasingly drunk throughout, and sometimes <laughs> sometimes just, you know, like the older we get as well, being like, oh my god, we are now. 14 hours in just trying to keep those eyes yeah. open but i i just love it every time and i i do kind of personally consider the extended editions almost like they standard editions now like those we've are... been having
1: a debate across you're you're weighing in on a <laughs> yeah. on an ongoing debate
2: i'm in, so glad in this you have series and, and and so in preparation for this episode i was like right i'm gonna put in because I've always watched them, you know, like one after the other. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll just try watching The Two Towers in isolation mm. and kind of see how it stacks up on its own. And because I've got young kids, I didn't make it through the whole three hours last night. But also I was like, oh, I'll watch the standard edition because that'll be a little bit different as well, kind of. And and I, and I checked the running time. I was like, oh, no, still three hours. Still, <laughs> still three hours on the standard edition. Wow. Um, but it is really weird watching it and being like, oh, that scene just ended early, or, oh, 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 it doesn't have that bit. Oh, that's a shame. It's weird that I'm watching this three-hour-long movie and thinking in the first half hour, like, oh, my God, they're really rushing through this. They're moving, <laughs> they're moving through this plot and yeah. the setup so fast that like we're going from this to this to this, and, you know, just in the extended edition, so much of that has just a little bit more time to breathe. But, yeah, I love the extended editions. For me, they're like, that's, if I'm talking about the movies, that's what I'm talking about.
0: You've got your standard... Editions and then your abridged editions.
2: Yes, exactly. That's yes, your your yeah, definition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then one, uh, just b- before I, you know, stop going through my context for these movies. The, the context, of my most recent viewing is this is the first time that I've watched um, them on my brand new shiny 4K discs, oh. and little, I'm, I should be slightly embarrassed, but right. So here is my. 4k steel <laughs> that i got Ooh, we're
1: getting we're getting a display uh, on the zoom right. call it looks beautiful
2: and they've got they're, they're all like so well i get that the two towers version they've they all got their own like cool like individual Man. covers uh, and yeah okay, those
0: they look sweet for our listeners at home
2: and yet uh, watching them watching this in in 4k last night it's gorgeous just uh one one of the one of the movies made for that format at home it um wild that this film still stands up visually i think as as much as it does that it, that it's now you know what it's 20 years old right and it and it yeah you know that's so 20 years is kind of like the gap between star wars and the matrix and well
0: that's that is crazy when you put it like that, that yeah and, it, and
2: and it just doesn't you know you watch these movies and and obviously yes there is a there are a lot more practical effects in this than there are in you know most modern blockbusters, but there is there is still mm-hmm. you know obviously you know one of the one of the most ambitious and early fully CG characters in this movie as well, and lots of CG elements and huge battle scenes that are created with visual effects. And mm-hmm. I just think it's you know it, it not not everything is perfect, but broadly like it doesn't it doesn't and uh, probably the fantasy milieu helps add to this, but it it just doesn't feel like a movie that has aged all that much in 20 years at all i mean even all of the actors kind of mostly look the same now right <laughs> you That's see true. most of those people now and you're like yeah ian mckellen still an old wizard <laughs> elijah Aragorn, wood still hot yeah it's yeah. yeah, still hot elijah oh, wood's still elijah a baby-faced still, hobbit still yeah a baby. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah i wonder there was there was some shot of of it's theodine no it's not Theoden. it's faramir when he's about to gesture to the sacred pool and there was a, a setting behind him that
3: yes you know, it
0: was a totally totally i assume digital setting where i was like something about this like would normally irk me but something about it being this fantastical world it just like clicks for me
2: i think that's one of the few sequences where you kind of see the joins a little bit you can um, notice it around it yeah. yeah where it doesn't look quite it doesn't look quite perfect but yeah i mean they're few and far between i think
0: yeah and then you know obviously as, as you allude to like When it comes time to talking about Gollum, like one of the most like ambitious and I think successful CGI steps forward ever, you know, I mean, it's, he's, he's incredible.
1: Joe, I remember you on some episode of your, of your podcast Cinematic Universe, just talking about what a big Lord of the Rings fan you were. And I was like, bookmark that for when we do this series, (laughs) we need to have you on. The podcast to discuss and are you how how would two towers rank among
2: the other two for you it's it's tough i I think if i'm if i'm really pushed on a favorite i normally go for this one because Mm -hmm. it it just because it feels like it's got a bit of everything in it i i think it's it's very close to me between the first two i think return of the king whilst i still love it is at at like a little half of a notch below
1: Mm -hmm. what about you ned
2: do you have a
0: ranking Two Towers is is the top is for number me. One. Um, it's it's just got my favorite stuff, you know. We'll 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 talk about all the things today that I love about it. But when I think about like my ten favorite things in Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. like at least six or seven of them are in this film.
1: Yeah, and six or seven of them are Legolas sliding down <laughs> stairs on. Hey,
0: that's probably one of them, you know. <laughs> I think, the urge, I, one of them.
2: I think as a as an as a whole. The Battle of Helm's Deep is my favorite like mm-hmm. bat- battle sequence in a movie. In any movie.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
1: There was a time, maybe it was like eighth grade or high school, where I would just watch the Battle of Helm's Deep every night before I went to bed. <laughs> it was that like is... my nighttime routine. And you can either start it, like obviously you can just start it when they're on the wall, if you're really pressed for time. Mm-hmm. If you're less pressed for time, you start it in the scene where Aragorn... It speaks to that little boy and like shows him that the sword is good
0: this is a good sword and if had you're son of
1: really him. not pressed for time then you can start it when he pushes the doors open if you want to get the full <laughs> experience those were my three options depending on how much time i i had in the I, evening
0: i feel like caroline you just told us that you spent 45 minutes to an hour and a half <laughs> watching this like every night yeah Everybody's yeah, got their routines, I guess exactly.
1: Although I will say watching this back to back with fellowship, I actually think I might now rank fellowship first as a movie, even if maybe Helms Deep is my favorite thing out of the series. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I would go one, two, three as my rankings.
0: Could you articulate why?
1: I think there's a like a cohesion to fellowship. And the way the narrative builds and the way it's this real journey of, like, we're starting in the Shire and we're slowly adding more and more pieces as we go along that's so Mm -hmm. satisfying. And Two Towers is a little more, like, intentionally so, but it's more fractured. And sometimes the, like, I think the movie does as good a job as possible of sort of building the Rohan arc, the Merry and Pippin with the Ents arc, and the, the Sam and Frodo and Gollum arc to all kind of, like, you know, reach their... Their climaxes and and whatever their denouements at the same time, but like the Rohan stuff is just so much more interesting to me that I always want to go back to that. So in that way, I think it feels a little bit less cohesive as a movie, but still so satisfying to watch.
2: And, well, so it it is kind of and you know I, I'm low to do this because it's not my favorite franchise, but the you know it's hard to not compare a trilogy to the original Star Wars and it mm-hmm. and it you know. <laughs> it is an empire strikes back in that, you know, all your heroes that you loved in the first movie are now kind of off doing, you know, Luke's off learning to be a Jedi and yeah. And, and these guys like are the list to- is
1: saying Aragorn, I love you. And Aragorn saying, I know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're all, they're all having their own little adventures, aren't they? And they you know, they're, they're all going to come back together in the third movie, but for now, you know, they're all, they're all doing their own thing. And I, I I, I know what you mean. I do think that the first one is the most, like, coherent movie. And there is something, I think it's the one that, you know, is most watchable on its own. It did feel a bit weird kind of picking up this. Like, they, they, they do feel so much of a piece mm-hmm. that this mm-hmm. really this really does feel like the middle part of the story.
0: It feels like, particularly if you're, like, it sounds like the great bulk of your Lord of the Rings watching experience has been all three movies yeah like not like you you usually watch them in in literally back to back
2: since they came out yeah that is that's most often how i've watched them and if not it's been like yeah watching like one one week or one day and then the Mm -hmm. next day and then the next day but yeah i i so i i do completely agree with that that it, it it feels like a middle entry and it feels like you know you know it is weaving these narratives together and it's not quite as cohesive as the first one but I think when I'm watching the three movies as a whole, this is the the stretch where I'm like, I, I'm, you know, I'm into all of this. And because you are hopping between these different stories, that if there are slight lulls in one story, there's maybe not a lull elsewhere. You know, if you're not into a part of fellowship, well, you've just got to wait to get past it. Whereas here, mm-hmm. we'll probably, we'll cut over to Merry and Pippin, and then we'll cut over to Frodo and Sam. And there's, yeah. there's fun to be had everywhere. It's not like
1: adding to it's not like if if fellowship is like a snowball rolling and like adding more to it as it goes along this is like three separate snowballs just running mm-hmm. in parallel to each other.
0: And the thing that makes this one really just like pop onable for me is that those snowballs like they are fully going from the mm-hmm. second the True. movie starts. So as opposed to the sort of pace I find the pace of character introductions and reintroductions in this really satisfying. You know, you start With the Misty Mountains, you see Gandalf. You're like, oh, I remember that guy. He was awesome. Oh my god, wait, there's more. He's still falling. He's fighting while falling. You take you into Frodo and Sam and Gollum and introduce that sort of central thing. And then when you snap over to aragorn legolas and gimli it's like these are my fucking guys we're mm-hmm. back baby the boys are back in town <laughs> and they are running they are sprinting across open countryside oh, we need- they are chasing orcs
1: we need a fan cam of the three of them set to the boys are back in town that sounds deeply satisfying to me
2: i do remember that that the The hobbits, the hobbits are going to Isengard. Was They're taking uh, the
1: hobbits to Isengard. Yes,
2: yes that was uh, unavoidable for stretches of the early two thousands.
1: <gasps> so funny. I also love a red sun rises. Blood has been spilt this night. That's like a line I just say more times than you would think someone would just say it in their life.
2: <laughs> we uh, when we're doing our marathons, like um, we we kind of like have a little competition with each other of who can like say the next line before mm. the other but mm-hmm. and like obviously it's not the whole way through but but the we had to we had to make up a rule that it had to be a three-word minimum quote because <laughs> oh sam was very easy to nail sure, <laughs> fairly repeatedly throughout the trilogy yeah.
0: I, I feel like oh, i could do relatively
2: decent on that yeah, yeah.
0: i'm ready to And why can't we have some meat <laughs> uh, I, I,
2: I i also love dropping lines from this trilogy just in my day-to-day life. Like no. um the amount of times I've been in a restaurant or and someone's brought steak I Looks like meat's back on the <laughs> menu, boys. <laughs> and I remember during lockdown, this was this was my favourite one because the way my wife witheringly looked at me after this. Yes, you know, during lockdown we're allowed out for these walks, you know, once a day. But that that was certainly the the guidance in the UK anyway, was you can go out for a 30 minute walk once a a day and we were Hmm. walking down this kind of like country road and I stopped and I just held hands hand and I went if I take one more step
1: (laughs) 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 Joe this will be this will be helpful to have you on because I always want to be able to dissect the different types of British accents that are in this series but I feel Mm. like I don't have the ear for it maybe you along the way will be able to guide us more yeah you did a good Sam right there
2: so uh, Sam is kind of west country um like country bumpkin farm pharma- farmer type mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um I mean uh, most of the Americans doing british accents yeah. are kind of <laughs> you know like, well, like frodo's not doing like a specific regional accent mm-hmm. um no. sean bean is is and forever Yorkshire, which is where mm-hmm. I'm from he's uh he's like. I don't know, like twenty miles south of where I grew up. But Sean Bean mm-hmm. is proper. He's, he's mm-hmm. South Yorkshire. He's from Sheffield, <laughs> and that's and that's what he's always been. And it's kind of it. It's kind of a rule in fantasy, right? Game of Thrones is that you know they're they very good example that all of the Northerners talk like this because they're from mm-hmm. the north. Whereas mm-hmm. you know the Southerners, you know your more Regals, your you're more mm-hmm. Regal types. Will have your RP. Your you just posher, well spoken British, and then. Yeah, may- maybe your like subtle variations off of that. I, I like, yeah, you've you've got your your Sam, your country bumpkin type, and of course the orcs in this who are all mm-hmm. cockneys. They're all cockneys, <laughs> aren't they, Gavna? <Gardner? laughs> a kind of a kind of incredible.
1: I'm gonna like... eat that hobbit. <laughs> it's Blimey. like an unexpected and yet so satisfying decision, I would say.
0: To have the orcs all be all be cockneys. Yeah. They're so yeah. We're not going no farther <laughs> until we've had a breather. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I love them all.
2: It's yeah. I think it's that kind of like broad strokes decision making that sometimes really works in this trilogy's favor, mm-hmm. and works less favorably with like the the racial stuff where it's like, and these people are from the east, or or these sure. are the these are the men that we don't like. It's oh, why don't we really like them? yeah (laughs) and you know there's a there's a little bit of that in you know the way that Tolkien had written it um and I understand that that's something that is like on the mind of the Amazon series but I I haven't touched the Amazon series yet and I'm not I'm not sure why I think I, I, I just like I'm not sure I want it and I maybe need people to tell me that it's worth my while because you know like I, I, there are things to like in the hobbit trilogy but broadly you know i wanted to see the hobbit adapted and all of the mm-hmm. extraneous stuff that ended up in there i was
0: like well, well don't know not for me i'm in a very similar boat i'm in a very similar uh boat going over the edge of the waterfalls uh, with, <laughs> with boromir's body in it In that i'm just i haven't i haven't looked at rings of power yet that is interesting though that they're i didn't know they're getting into this sort of is it like what are they, the Easterlings or the Westerlings or whatever the the wild men or the?
1: I think it's more that they just don't have an all white cast. They've just okay. decided to do oh, I see, I see like a multicultural cast, which mm-hmm. I think feels fitting and more women in it for sure. It's I watched it. I didn't love it. I thought it kind of got somewhere interesting by the end. I will say it was. It has kind of provided some nice like background on when they'll reference things in lord of the rings like they'll be like oh it was morgoth's balrog i was like oh now i know all about morgoth like i know these things now or numen you know they talk about aragorn being a descendant of numenor at least in the extended edition they do uh Uh, not in the theatrical but in rings of power numenor is like one of the main locations they're at so it's kind of interesting to like have that backstory. but i feel like if for me, if the show is gonna find itself, it's gonna be in season two, not in season one.
2: Yeah, and I'll wait. I'll wait for people to tell me that yeah. that's that that's good. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'll watch it at some point. But I'm I'm also you know, I'm I'm broadly not a TV guy. I, I especially like the the older I get, I'm just like there are so many movies to watch and so many movies. And you've got from, to rewatch all the Lord history. of the Rings movies. <laughs> I've got to rewatch all the Lord of the Rings movies. Got to see. You know, are they gonna are they gonna get to Mount Doom this time? What's gonna happen? <laughs> What are the Eagles doing.
0: Yeah, your cost your cost benefit proposal just hour by hour, you know, definitely <laughs> wins, wins movie.
2: I, I think if the if the Amazon series can do one thing, hopefully it provides some context to the Eagles that stops people complaining <laughs> about the Eagles. Because my understanding, right, from the books is that the Eagles are generally very grumpy bastards, right? That's their <laughs> that's their vibe, is that they are they are kind of like broadly above the the like you know the the dealings of men and hobbits and elves and dwarves and they don't care about that stuff but at one point they needed some help and gandalf like helped out and that's why and, and it's basically like they owe gandalf a favor and broadly you can't ask them to do that kind of stuff and so it's never it's, it's never bothered me only. but it's but it's like it's the it's the lord of the rings version of why didn't kate winslet let leo on the on, sure. the, on the raft, right?
0: <laughs> Why doesn't Bruce Wayne just give away his money? <laughs> it's not what I'll, the story um, demands, okay? Yeah. I'll, I'll so shut up I'll keep you guys up updated
1: it. if the Eagles make an appearance in Rings of Power. Season one, just, not so far, but maybe.
2: Maybe Eagles it's just, coming. Just, just give me a cameo from the Eagles being like... You know like that scene Where very in,
1: isolation is Don't think about us anymore yeah, you, know,
2: you know that scene In X-Men First Class Where they walk into the bar And ask Wolverine to join mm-hmm. and he just goes Fuck off Yeah Like mm-hmm. I just want that with, eagles. Do that with the eagles Yeah
0: Literally that exact scene yeah. They walk into an IRA And are like Will you guys come help us out
2: <laughs> Fuck off And maybe I'm just confusing it with an aesop's fable but i'm sure it's something like gandalf getting a thorn out of one of the eagles sure i mean like yeah okay sounds right we owe you one now buddy okay i guess (laughs) i guess we'll get you off of this tower
0: i mean that's that's my impression as a non-book reader anytime someone shares details from the books it's usually something along the line of like and gandalf Three thousand years ago, he had to pull a thorn from the talons of an eagle, or uh... <laughs> well,
2: because the the beauty of the books as well is if you really wa- you know if you really want to, there's all of the appendices at the end of the main books. There's the Silmarillion, which is you know recounting tales from Middle Earth, and there are you know the various maps, and then the stuff that his son has done. So yeah, there's there's loads of little strings to tug on. But I kind of I I, I don't know. It's I think another reason why I've not been that much into you needing to read the rings of power it's like i kind of like that that stuff exists but i kind of like that it isn't all out there explained that there isn't this broad canon that there isn't you know that, that that you haven't got like side books explaining how everything works and that there are you know There are supposedly X amounts of wizards in Middle-earth and there are blue ones who we just never have found out the names of and have never met. And that's that's fine and that's cool and I'm sure they'll show up in the Rings of Power and it'll be slightly less cool.
1: This is interesting because I would say the sometimes less is more would be my argument for the supremacy of the theatrical editions, but we're divided on that
2: i just want more of them caroline i just want more i just want i want to be with the movie <laughs> you want for more longer. lord
1: of the rings but not so much more that we're explaining i want the more of, i are. want
2: more of these three movies these three movies sure. and, ev- and everything they can give me but i genuinely at this point i don't know which bits are extended and which bits aren't
1: well i was gonna ask you ned did you did you rewatch for this and did you do a theatrical or extended edition viewing having watched extended earlier
0: this year That's right. I watched The Extended in November, so I did a theatrical cut watch this time. Just, uh, yeah, similarly, I was like, oh, who has the time? And, you know, I want (laughs) to have them to compare and contrast. And I similarly am like, "Uh, I can't exactly remember what is extended
1: okay well I can be the good voice for that because I, I basically only ever watched the extended I think I had sorry I only ever watched the theatrical right terrible Freudian slip right there and um I think I had seen I'm not sure I've ever seen Return of the King extended edition I think I'd only seen Fellowship and Two Towers extended once
0: were you just sitting wondering like what the hell happens to Saruman for years and years. No,
1: I feel like you just get it. See, okay. And then for this viewing in particular, so last last episode, I, I just song, watched Theatrical um Fellowship. But this time, I hadn't seen these movies in years, but I have now watched The Two Towers three times in the past week.
2: Yes. One
1: theatrical. Then I was like, I should just rewatch Extended and see what's there. So I did that. And I found it to feel like fully psychotic. I was like, I can't, I can't deal with there being extra like i need it to feel like the familiar song i know so then i had to rewatch the theatrical to make that my last um <laughs> viewing experience but i will say having sort of had it having sort of been theatrical only it i do have a, a lot of clarity as to which scene is which because i immediately know when something is like a new a new edition or feels off i guess kind of the reverse of what you're describing joe it's,
2: it's just a little bit harder the other way around to be like well you know the scenes that you haven't seen just aren't there and the ones that are that are extended scenes you're like oh what's what what, what mm-hmm. is the bit of the, what's the bit of that scene that's not quite there And sometimes it's not even like, you know, it's like, it's not even the end of the scene. It might just be, you know, like kind of sandwiching stuff around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There were one or two scenes that I thought were really nice and I wish were in the theatrical. Like there's a bit with Gandalf and Aragorn when, when they first kind of meet up again and they're in the forest and they're kind of just chatting about Aragorn's like destiny and responsibility. And I was like, oh, that was really nice. Like that could have been in. And then there's some other stuff where I was like, no, 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 this is all wrong. I don't want, I don't want Aragorn, Aowen, soup comedy. Oh, I, don't I like want, that. <laughs> I don't want Merry and Pippin like have like. Oh, now we have to have a subplot about finding our like weed that we want to smoke. I was like, no, 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 oh, no. Get this good. out of here. I like that. When too. the flashback to Boromir started, I was like, I, I need to pert. Like, this is all wrong. This is not what's supposed to be happening here.
2: Oh, uh, nice. No, I, I, yeah. Oh, oh, like so the the Boromir stuff. I think it. I think it really helps contextualize Faramir and that relationship to have to just have that flash of what they were to each other on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think it's easy to say that the the, the, the extra comedy bits and met were the stuff that he could cut, but but also you know, like I remember reading the book, Some of my favorite stuff was Merry and Pippin at Isengard and just finding this. Finding this like larder full of food and pipeweed, and then just you know, just yeah, just as as the rest, as you know, Helm's Deep is is being fought over that Merry and Pippin are just getting blazed and <laughs> eating, <laughs> eating, eating big joints of ham. I was like, this is this is just so much fun, and yeah, and and Saruman and the P- Palantir, and yeah, I, I think that obviously these movies hugely successful without all of that extra stuff. I just kind of... You miss it. I like sitting with it all for a little bit longer. I agree.
0: So let's let's get into it here. So let's 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 go through our little plots and our little characters and, and just break apart this two towers. So last episode, we went character by character through the full acting ensemble. Since then, the fellowship is broken. Our heroes have scattered to various quarters of Middle-earth, as we've alluded to. We've got a number of different plots. They've made some new friends along the way. Uh, let's check in on this. So I've basically broken things down into The Ring, Rohan... Fangorn, and then very briefly a little check in on elves, which is mm. really all the movie does. A brief, yeah, the a brief movie check-in. is really
1: like, oh shit, the elves are here too. Oh
0: right, remember them? So yeah, let's start. Let's start with the ring. So this I consider like, I mean, I don't know if it considered our a plot, but it's it's the ring plot, and you know the the if it's the main plot of the movie with. is the ring, it's what we open with. We after a little Gandalf flashback, we see Frodo and Sam, who are very quickly joined by joined by Graham. by which I mean uh, attacked by <laughs> Gollum and they they quickly transition him from a foe to a sort of a begrudging accomplice how do we feel about the acting in this little plot line
2: so I, I, I think it's interesting that you call it the a plot for me the the bones of the movie is the is is Rohan and like the that the, in terms of like driving the plot it's what's happening in, Ro- in Rohan and and how that you know belatedly dovetails with the with the Fangorn Merry and Pippin and and Treebeard stuff mm-hmm. to like be the you know that's that's the big change that happens is one of the towers falls, but from a from a performance point of view and from an acting point of view and a character point of view, like this is because not much happens here, mm-hmm. right? Like For all sure. of. All of the big incident, and again I think this is like a case of Jackson, like this goes this goes further, I believe, in the Two Towers novel than it does in this movie, that he actually holds back a lot of the incident, and what you get is is broadly, you know, three characters and the shift in their dynamics over the course of a movie, two who you know really well already, and then, you know, like sitcom style, Smoogall being <laughs> thrown in the middle. Well, Smeagol slash Gollum being thrown in the middle, and, um...
1: It is a real, like, oh my god, my best friend has made another friend, and I feel so deeply threatened by... Yes. <laughs> ...by this happening. And,
2: and and for the the friendship from the first movie that is the, you know, the... The one that just feels so pure and mm-hmm. honest, and and that, you know, the way that the first movie ends with the kind of the two of them in tears, in the water, like... You know, you know, just that Sam cut like he's like, I made a promise. I'm on this journey with you, Mister Frodo, and you know was was gonna drown to 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 make sure he was there with his friend, and his friend wasn't doing this alone. And then watching Frodo kind of slowly being corrupted by the Ring, being corrupted by Gollum, but also like not seduced, but endeared by the the, mm-hmm. the gen, you know the 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 humanity that's left in Smeargle. And I think it's a really, I think it's a really, you know, intricately woven subplot where, you know, all of it feels really real and no one is wrong and no one is right. And, and you know, Sam's right that they can't trust Gollum, but also maybe the way he treats him, you know, leads to it all going wrong. Mm-hmm. and then, And then obviously... Fucking Faramir ruins it all, doesn't (laughs) he?
0: He's the the fourth person I've listed in this little plot. We'll get to him in time. He does fuck everything up. But I think, Joe, that you're absolutely right to describe it as like, this is really an emotional story. And you're absolutely right that like, they start with what's clearly an extremely strong, probably the strongest bond between any two members of the fellowship. And they're like, what could possibly fuck this up? How about (laughs) throwing this wretched little third guy on their trip with them? And... People say, you know, seriously or glibly, you know, they refer to the Frodo-Sam thing as a romance, and they refer to this as a love triangle, which, like, love triangle is not actually, I think, that accurate descriptor of, of what the dynamic is here. And yet, there are a lot of echoes of the way those plots play out. It is really just, like, suddenly, Frodo and Gollum have this bond over mm-hmm. their understanding of the the power of the ring. You know, the... Frodo watching Gollum happily like wriggle after like fish. And he's like, that's just a guy who wants to live and he's been ruined by the ring. Like that's what I'm going through, Sam, and you have no sympathy for him. And I do think particularly of the two of them Elijah Wood, I'm like, uh I think he's pretty good in this. He does some good faces, some good line deliveries. He's selling role the to kind play, of I think. growing possession, but yeah, I'd agree. It's a it's a tough role. And uh, you know, some of the like high notes that give that character some, like, flavor are starting to be, like, sucked out of it. I mean, my little note that I wrote is I was like, poor Frodo is just really on the road to torture town this, like, whole time. (laughs) But Sam, by contrast, I think, really expands in this one. He, like, comes alive in a way where Mm -hmm. in the first one, you get that he's, like, Frodo's, you know, sort of head-forward, doofy, earnest, gardener guy. But you get the, like, I don't know, sort of gravitas and maturity of him in this, because in these moments, you like, you know, he kind of has to bring the, like, levity and the lightness and the optimism when Frodo is super worn down. It really feels like a, like watching a caretaking relationship, you mm-hmm. know? Like, like, Sam is, he's Frodo's caretaker. He's, like, helping someone who's struggling with an illness that's, like, unsightly and painful and makes him, like, irrational. And they're just sort of, like, working through it.
1: And then you have Gollum, who... He's, like, the id. He's, like, the manifestation of the... It's an interesting metaphor. It's like if you have dementia or something, he's like the manifestation of the, I don't know, the, the illness or something. Yeah,
0: something like that.
1: I um, I traditionally just think of Lord, the Lord of the Rings movies as Aragorn movies. Like to me in my mind, these are Aragorn movies and everyone else is a supporting character within mm-hmm. that story. But actually for this podcast, I've really... I think this has challenged me to, like, really try to appreciate all the other storylines sort of in equal measure. Like, I've mm-hmm. been really enjoying doing that. And you guys, I fucking love Gollum. <laughs> 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 this was my main real Please. Not that I have, like, disliked him in the past. But I think similar to what we talked about last week, like, Ian McKellen as Gandalf is so good, it's almost, like, easy to just take him for granted because it just feels like... Gandalf just exists like mm-hmm. that he's just playing himself in this movie and I I think previously maybe I felt that way a little bit about Gollum
0: took him for granted a little but bit this
1: rewatch I was just like vibing out I was like he's so funny <laughs> like I truly was laughing out loud at Gollum the entire time he's so like tragic and moving and yeah funny like it's just a a wildly excellent performance and addition to this series that was such a gamble and and worked out so well for them
2: it's something that's i um peek behind the nerdy curtain of my movie fandom i've got a little spreadsheet where after i watch a movie um i i kind of like have like i will do the awards for each year and so what i'll do (laughs) is after i've seen a movie each like I like I I'm I slowly starting to build out where after I watch a movie I'll go in and put like what what were my what do I think are the awards consideration performances mm, from that movie. Okay. And I, I think it's it's really tricky with this trilogy because I think so many of them seem like so like the the casting is so perfect mm-hmm. that that yes, a lot a lot of it is to be taken for granted. And also, you know, you get you get quite different approaches in terms of performance like you know even in this movie we'll we'll get to Grima Wormtongue right and that and that performance like feels like it's from another world than what Viggo Mortensen's doing with Aragorn it's very Shakespearean um, I'd say yeah yeah I mean or, or like it feels like very yeah theatrical mm-hmm. like
1: or like high fantasy if the rest of it feels a little more like almost historical yeah Wormtongue is very High fantasy,
2: yeah, and 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 it's you know it's a it's a really broad performance, and then uh, you know you you got Gandalf in like you know d- d- McKellen in like a, just a, a role that he feels, but you know it's a guy who's played lots of iconic franchise roles, but for me, Gandalf is the defining one, and I think that it's particularly it's a, a particularly difficult one, especially when like then you, especially for me, like so I many these movies were my introduction to many of these actors mm-hmm. as a 11 12 year old and you know gone on to see them in lots of other things or things that they've been in earlier than this um since then but this was the introduction of so many of them to me and they do feel just like you know those are the archetypes and particularly with Andy Circus and Gollum obviously this is one of those this is one of the first fully CG characters on this scale and from a guy who's gone on to like kind of define that genre of acting Mm -hmm, um and obviously there's been shouts since then for him to be oscar nominated and and the uh, for the for the apes movies and the debate about how much of these cg performances are the actors versus how much is added by the animators i wonder whether this is the the closest you could get to going you know probably the majority of what you see here or the balance of the performance versus the animators is probably strongest in the favor of the actor here because mm. you know there was just less that the that the VFX could do back then and especially when you see circus you know with the dots on his face and the ping pong <laughs> balls and the green suit and you know in it and you're like oh well they distorted his voice right no <laughs> you know or, or, or like you're like well the eyes are such an, an overwhelming you know those huge eyes in that sunken skull like that's such a defining part of the luck of Gollum, and you're like that probably won't come across when circus is just doing it and you're like oh no like you can see like his eyes feel like they're bulging out of his skull while he's while he's performing it and i i think it is a i think it is a great i think it's a great performance it's Maybe the dominant performance in this movie, especially like you, you see him what for a, a brief flash in the in mm-hmm. the shadows in the first movie, like. But this is this is the Gollum movie. This is the mm-hmm. one that he he takes over, and yeah, I, I I I think he's. Again, it's tricky because I've seen Circus do iterations of this a lot of times. It's it's I always find it really weird watching him in live action roles because. Hmm. I think he is a I think he's a very good actor but also he's a very specific actor he's very you know he's very mannerly and, and like he's he's almost best when you do give him a huge amount of ticks and a lot of stuff to do.
1: Did you watch um Andor, Joe?
2: Andor what? Probably not
1: cuz you famously don't
2: <laughs> like TV. Sorry <laughs> 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 to step on your
1: uh, very good joke there.
2: <laughs> uh um no. Uh no, not T- TV and Star Wars okay, mixed we'll together. Okay, s- I will
1: say Circus watch is it, very Joe, good. No. Very Joe, very good. It. And,
0: uh, no, I know, it's, dude. It, it's I, like but, up there with Gollum still, and Caesar, no.
1: certainly as as Circus's three best performances. I would say.
2: So, so my fa- outside of Lord of the Rings, my favorite anti-Circus performance is in a movie called Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, which is an Ian Dury biopic. I don't. I don't know how well Ian Dury was known in the states, but Ian Dury and the Blockheads—they sung "Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll," um, "Hit Me with Your Rhythm Stick." I, I don't. they and and he's this like
0: nope, nothing quite for me.
2: A, Quite affected Cockney guy, and yeah, he's he's like really, really fantastic in it. But it is a performance that has a lot of bits for him to do, and you know is there a better role with lots of ticks and bits than Gollum? Like there just isn't. He's Mm a He's He's fantastic. And I, yeah. And and I think when, I, I do think that you have to factor in the VFX and the animators into that performance. Sure. Sure. But circus is great. And you know, and what, what an actor showcase to be able to do those scenes where he's, smeagol and gollum communicating with oh my himself. god they're so
1: good and the way the like there there's that one big scene where the two of them are talking to each other and the way the filmmaking is like aiding the transition and really making it feel like just a two-person conversation is so great you really believe it, it's like two people like it it Again, that's such a performance commitment thing. He
0: literally conveys clearly over the course of the movie the story of this like war between two personalities Mm -hmm. for the soul of this creature. And he does that like through the layers of CGI. Yeah. I mean, I agree that we should be talking about animators for creating this character, but I feel like all animated performances, like, I think you can still talk about the actor having created something. And in this case, as you say, Joe, like the behind the scenes footage reveals how much of the work how much of this character is truly coming from circus it's not being layered upon what he did it's like it is channeling what he did Mm
2: -hmm. and it's not just a face capture it's a it's a full body
0: performance yes absolutely yeah i mean it's 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 all that and i as far as like awards consideration goes like there was pressure to nominate him for an oscar and the academy said like no it is not we do not see him on screen enough to do that which I think is, like, uh, just a silly rule. I, I just think, like, you know, they're saying, oh, well, it's really a team of animators, you know, who, like, ma- like we don't know how much they affected the performance. But I'm like, any character, like, mm-hmm. how much do we talk about, like, the way that the hair and makeup and yeah. costume department, like, helped create the character of Aragorn, you know? For sure. How much, for any I mean, of like. any these
1: characters. Legolas, like, Gandalf, for sure. And, like,
0: editors, acting performances are compiled by editors, right? And mm-hmm. an editor can make or break that sort of thing. And it has nothing to do, or rather, it has everything to do with, but it is channeling and strongly affecting, like, what you get from the actor. So I just think this sort of, like, purity test of, like, well, how many different hands were involved in creating this character is, like, a little bit fake to me.
2: I do think it's sometimes tricky because, you know, there are literally stories of, like, you know, CG characters where, you know, their face is completely re-manipulated after the fact, or Mm -hmm. it's like... Actually, we want him to be smiling here rather than frowning. So let's let's pull up those dots. And, you know, the, the entire expression of the face has changed. But I'm sure, you know, in modern blockbusters, yeah, you I was know, gonna say that where we're probably doing that in endgame full, full body scans, <laughs>
0: Mustaches are removed.
1: Sure,
2: it's happening yeah. all the time. And yeah, and I just think this is circus being great. Yeah. Yes.
0: And hitting all of those notes that we're talking about, where like he literally enters the movie as like a monstrous antagonist. And I love this transition early onwards. They've just sort of captured him in that first fight. And, you know, they have the sword at his throat and he kind of like admits that he's defeated and like lets out this like Gollum scream that like yeah. you see echoing through the hills. And it like automatically transitions to the next day and it's daylight. And he's doing the same scream, except <laughs> now it's just like annoying where he's like, Wah! <laughs> you know and to go from that you know horror thing to like annoying comedy to like the pathos that we've alluded mm-hmm. to to him being so haunted you like genuinely sympathize he's just so complicated and so interesting to have like at the heart of this and at the heart of this franchise where like you know i feel like part of the idea of this story this overall lord of the ring story is like and the fate of many can be decided by like one so small by, like, one tiny ring being carried by one frail little hobbit. And then it's like, and also, in a sense, all of Destiny is being decided by this one wretched little lizard mm-hmm. guy <laughs> who's just with them.
2: And I view everything right now through being a parent, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's that's what happens after you have kids. Like, oh my god, the scene at the start of this movie, which had never bothered me before, but where the yeah. gir- the little girl is crying in my yeah. right hand about... Having to ride away from her mum and mm. then the mum knowing that he's she's too turning around and sit there. for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a yeah, devastating that, that, like, scene. It it uh, it just affected me in a way that it hasn't before. But Gollum in this movie is a kid, right? Mm-hmm. He's a he's a he's a child. He's a toddler. That, as you were saying, Ned, that that like primal scream where you're like, oh my god, ah, oh, I just feel, I feel for this guy in this moment where his the the thing that he wants has just been taken away from him and he has to admit defeat and then as you say like hard cut to oh my god shut the fuck up mate that <laughs> is so annoying and that is that like and and there is you know I love when he's kind of like dancing around in this mm-hmm. movie like, like like a toddler and there's the moment after he feels like he's been betrayed by by Frodo and Sam Ugh. or by Frodo particularly where he's kind of like caressing his own yeah. shoulder and it's like it's almost like Gollum is like just just trying to comfort him but there is, some, there is something so childlike particularly about Smeagol but also in the duality of Smeagol and Gollum where you can go from being like it's not his fault the ring made him that way like I know he's been a not. I know my daughter has been really frustrating right now, but she's a toddler. She can't help it. Yeah. To oh my god, what is wrong <laughs> with you? Stop it! You are you are inherently evil if, for doing this to me right <laughs> yeah. now. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Like there is and 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 Frodo is kind of like going right. Frodo and Sam are, are experiencing him through that as well, where Sam is like, I just can't like how are you not seeing this? And Frodo's like, partly he's like seeing the child Mm -hmm. and partly he's seeing like him from a movie ago. Like Mm -hmm. this is me, this is me chuckling going, oh, Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah. You're late.
1: <laughs> Joe, do you know what this is? I don't know what you said in there that unlocked this for me, but I know you have watched this TV show. This is like Moon Knight and Smeagol is the Stephen <laughs> Grant, like nice museum S- worker. Stephen. We all love and is a complete <laughs> weirdo. And then he's got this like dark side that will, is kind of designed to protect the innocent little Smeagol.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I had also just forgotten like, how funny Gollum is. I don't think of him as being like the comic relief of Two Towers, but I truly like was laughing out loud at half of the things he says, especially in the iconic potato scene, which I think mm-hmm. is rightly remembered as the Sam scene, but the way the way <laughs> The way Circus, when he's trying to ask what potatoes are, the way he plays it as, like, genuine fear. Watch yeah. taintos, precious? Watch taintos? <laughs> it's like, so funny. It's, like a it's such weapon a weapon funny you know. choice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is this monstrosity you're about to talk? It is so truly... Not like nasty
2: so- <laughs> chips.
1: Sneagel it is, is it's, so But again, funny. it's so
2: childlike. The mm-hmm. amount of times where, like, you know, a, a kid will be like... Ugh! Don't like eggs. Yeah, and, and then they'll have it as like, "Oh, I like eggs. Oh, yeah, yummy. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> he,
2: he's yeah, he's fantastic. He's so, he is so funny, particularly when he's nagging Sam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Stupid, and Sam, fat, is like fat little hobbits. Is Sam
1: is kind of mean in this movie. You know what I mean? But
2: like I think totally. he is, but you but you get it because he's trying Sess to defend his friends and he's, <laughs> Well, no, he's he's, tra- he's trying to defend his friend. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't trust Gollum, which ultimately mm-hmm. he's right not to do, even if he maybe does make it worse by treating him like that. And also, he's got, yeah. you know, it, it's interesting what you said earlier about like the way that this is memed as a love triangle, and 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 I think that's probably because the the relationship between Sam and Frodo in the movie is so earnest and open, and it's spoken as well in a way that male friendships rarely are on screen and in life. When you when you add that extra element into this, it it does read like a it does read like a love triangle almost, mm-hmm. and it does re- read as almost romantic because we're not used to seeing emotions presented in that way. Mm-hmm. But really, what you've got is you've got one, you've got a a guy who is yeah, seeing a friend going through, seeing a friend going through something, but not actually able to like trying to empathize but not actually he can't possibly know what it's like
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and then Frodo is presented with someone who probably who certainly doesn't have his best interests at heart in the way that Sam does and probably deep down Frodo knows that the thing that matters most to Gollum is the ring but here's a guy who he can yeah he can see the the version of himself in Smeagol that he wants to hold on to. And he can also see his darkest fears in, you know, in what failing at this quest could turn him into. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I think it's just wonderfully played between the three of them. And the fact that in this three or three and a half hour movie, if you're watching the extended edition, that essentially they start the movie and they look up in the horizon, like there's Mordor on Mount Doom. God, when it would like, we we just, we just need to get through this last bit and get there. And then they get to the gates and go Ah uh, no, actually we need to go in we, need, we we can't we can't go through there, we need to go a different way. And then the movie ends with them kind of looking off and being like, Ah, Mordor, nearly there. You know, like <laughs> they, they don't they don't they don't achieve anything or get anywhere and actually like the golem at the start of the movie isn't necessarily even that different from the golem at the end of the mm-hmm. movie, but the journey you go on with those three characters is so compelling. Yeah. Um. That that you know it 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 isn't ridiculous at the start of this conversation, Ned, for you to describe it as the a plot because emotionally, certainly, I think it is.
1: Yeah. I would also just take a take a second to stand up for Faramir here. I feel like often the the consensus on him is like, oh, a really compelling book character who gets a little bit lost in translation on screen. But I think David Wenham who plays him does such a good job, even in the theatrical edition where he's not in it as much. Like he does such a great job conveying this internal life of Faramir and how it fits into the, like observing this weird trio he stumbles upon and going from, I have to take the ring and bring it to Gondor to like understanding the importance of their quest and letting them go and how that stands in contrast to Boromir having a very similar choice to make, but making the opposite way like i really think you get a lot of the nobility and the heart of faramir and like it's a performance that's always really stood out to me for as small as it is
2: i think he's a lot better in return of the king and i think that's where the character gets the chance to shine but i think i think the reason that faramir kind of gets short shrift in terms of like people latching onto him is He's not as cool or as fun as Boromir, right? He's like, he's the same for the audience <laughs> as it is for his dad. That he's just like, like, yeah, he might oh, he I would take
1: Faramir might... over Boromir any day. Well, oh. he's,
2: he's, right, he's more noble and, yeah, that he's maybe cuter. he has more, he has more internal conflicts. Cuter? Well, he's cuter, I he's but cuter. Like, I mean, I Sean, he's, he's not the rugged, sexy that Sean Bean wow, no. is, is he? Faramir over
1: Boromir. This is a, we're on very different pages here. Yeah, <laughs> this is fascinating. Now, listen,
2: I need to, I need to stick up for, um, Your fellow... uh, My fellow Yorkshireman. Boromir
0: teaches the hobbits how to sword fight. That's so fun.
2: He's just... Yeah, he's... He's not... He's not, like, weighed down by the angst that Faramir is. So he's just more... He's just more fun to be around, like, in these movies. And even... Even when he is, you know, kind of turning heel. Like, he... He fights against it for so long and then gives into it. And then straight away goes, Oh, fuck. (laughs) I I think it, I think Faramir is a really a really really tough role, especially because in the role of like noble man in this movie, he's no Aragorn is he <laughs> you know, he's not. He's, you know he's not he's not the king that Aragorn is, and 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 he's not he's certainly not the sex symbol that Viggo Mortensen is. You know, like and then I think the final thing with Wenham is it's he, he's just got a bit too much of a Winnie. And sometimes it really works in his favor in performances, but he's a very Faramir, if you know what I mean. Is that he's got he's got a real and Winnie have to
1: prove <laughs> wow. his quality. This is like actually fascinating to me to hear you guys say because I really like Faramir quite a lot, and I really like this
2: performance.
1: So this is like a very this is an interesting. I think he's split. a lot
2: better in in Return of the King once you've got all of that context for it, but I don't. Also, his role in the plot here is just to fuck things up, like <laughs> that's true, and 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 to, and and to go against his nature because he's he's trying to do what his brother would have done, and you're like, no, the brother tried to save these hobbits, like mm. the the brother saw the error of his ways, and so just just in this movie, you're kind of like, ah, oh, fuck, dude, maybe like and like you know, would he have gone full golem if it wasn't for? would they have had a chance of redeeming him if it hadn't been Faramir and I just think it's a tough ask I don't think Wenham's bad I th- I, but I, I don't I don't think he makes much of an impact for me in this movie relative to the rest mm. of the cast
1: well I know, I know we'll have to move on soon but just to say the I think Sam's big final monologue is so lovely and so well delivered and for me the grace note of that is the way that that's the monologue that changes faramir's mind and like almost the emotional high point of that for me is faramir being like now frodo baggins we understand each other like i find that very moving
2: yeah that's, yeah, that's a nice nice moment
0: <laughs> and i like that sam monologue a lot as well i don't need a punching bag on faramir but something about him just doesn't really work for me and never how oh, this is I like
1: genuinely the, fascinating to me because yeah, i, I all if- i don't know if i quite emphasized this last week but i actually find bohemir like pretty off-putting in hmm. a way that i think is compelling like that makes the yeah. character interesting, but I don't watch him and be like, oh, I want to hang out with that guy.
0: You shouldn't date no. either of these guys or hang out
1: with them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think see. Faramir is, no, I am pro Fa- Faramir is who Eowyn ends up with. Like this is a good, I really like Faramir.
0: Yeah. Well, you're not going to persuade me based on that argument because <laughs> <laughs> the Aowen the Aowen the yeah, Aragorn. The, I
1: did not expect this to be. For her to like
0: rebound with Faramir, you know. Yeah. That's second a, tier. really wow. does
1: feel
2: like it. I mean, all of Gondor, right? Gondor just isn't as cool as they're like it as should Rohan, be. For sure, it should be, but it's a it's a it's like a fallen kingdom, isn't it? It's sure. it's a shadow shadow of its former self that needs needs its king to return. And yeah, no, I think you're completely right about Boromir. Like he's an unsettling presence from the moment that he announces himself at the table. Mm-hmm. But I just I just think he's I just think he's such, uh, so much more compelling to be around, character and performance for me wow. than like be I, I like Sean Bean might be my favourite performance in in Fellowship. Mm-hmm. I I think he's he's really fantastic, and Wenham is. I think of the of the kind of new cast that comes in here. He's he's towards the bottom but wow, as i said i think this is he's so fascinating
1: think, to me i really did but I think, I do this. think he's
2: so much better in the next movie so it's yeah with a with a with a fairly large caveat i think he's one of the least wow, wow, impactful wow, 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 wow. additions
0: exciting stuff so i am going to move us on now i want to talk about Rohan now i think it's time to because that's the next da, plot da, we go da, to da, da, well i guess da,
3: da, da, we see mary, and pippin, brief mary very and pippin
0: briefly. Should we talk? Should we get Mary Pippin, and Treebeard out of the way? Should I almost do feel that like first? should we just
1: quickly get them out of the way because I feel yeah. like we'll have more to say about.
0: Yeah, let's do. It. Okay, we'll, we'll 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 build we'll build slowly to Rohan. So we'll build so, to what
1: everyone really wants.
0: The doors, <laughs> although to be clear, yeah, the doors. But uh, to be clear, I love the Mary Pippin, Treebeard plot. When it yeah. cuts every time it cuts back to that, I am like I'm just pleased as punch. I love what they're up to the whole time and. Frankly, it's just like, walking trees is fantasy crack to me. I just love Mm. that. I just like, I am super down from the moment when Mary's like, something in the woods that makes the trees grow large and even move. Uh, I'm like, oh, cool. I want to know more about that. And they, this time I noticed that when he does that, you hear this like, very faint, like spooky, like hint of the... Like Ents marching to Isengard theme, mm. so just hanging out with a gigantic talking tree is very fun to me, and a really like I find this to be a really thematically rich storyline. Essentially, like a storyline about radicalization, about being like, mm. you know, the war doesn't, you know, speaking of Andor, like being like the war doesn't really concern me. Yeah, and then Treebeard gets radicalized and is like, actually it concerns all of us. <laughs> yeah, he does through. Uh, he gets radicalized through a through a goof by Pippin, which I really like. That sort of like climax is first you have Merry being like, but you're part of this world, yeah. and uh, that like kind of you feel like he, that kind of gets through, but it doesn't really. And then Pippin pulls some classic Pippin bullshit, <laughs> and <laughs> tricks Treebeard into like walking into. To Isengard to see the doomed, the, the felled trees and then the ants go to war and then it's just a, it's just clobbering time from that <laughs> point
1: on. I think this, this subplot is a nice example of the way Mary and Pippin are alike and the way they're different. Mm-hmm. If I can return back to my insane enneagram system that i love please it's like pippin i've decided is a seven wing six and mary is a seven wing eight which in normal people speak basically means they are united in their love for fun and adventure and you know having goofy fun times Mm -hmm. but i think mary has an undercurrent of like strength there and like a little bit of that so, like, he's the one that's going to stand up and make the big speech and sort of be a little more intense with it all. And Pippin has that sort of, uh, I don't know, like, soft, softer intelligence and a way to, like, use a gentle hand to make things happen. Mm-hmm. And I think you need Mary to be there radicalizing Pippin to say, we can't just go back to the Shire because the Shire will burn. But then you yeah. need Pippin that Brilliant has, speech. as you say, Ned, the sort of, like, the, the gentle touch to be like, oh, why don't we go this way? Because... Yeah. You know, I have this whole secret plan that you'll see this this thing, but I I Pippin understands that Treebeard needs to see it. He can't just yeah. like think about it, and and you'd kind of need the two of them
0: at a moment when Mary is already kind of just like resigned to defeat. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in his like grim place. I I think that touches on
2: as well what I think is so compelling about the first act of this movie because fellowship ends right, and ultimately all that really matters. That all, all we think that really matters at that point is, you know, what we've been following for the first movie, which is we need to get the ring to Mount Doom. Okay, well, Sam and Frodo are off doing that. So what's the point of everyone else? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Merry and Pippin, first of all, need to stay alive. And they do, and they meet Treebeard. And yeah, it's as much as convincing him, it's convincing them and it's convincing the audience why staying as part of this is, is important and why, you know, kind of like it's going to take all of them and yeah that's a very good way to put it similarly you know with the rohan stuff certainly the way the rohan stuff starts i i love the purity of like of, of what aragorn's saying and what he said you know like okay what we need to do is save our friends that's mm-hmm. that's ultimately you know like we signed up for this epic journey but now we need to save these two little halflings from the shire because that is the right thing to do mm-hmm and again, they get far enough in the plot that they're like, "Okay, so so we've discovered that those guys are okay. We don't need to worry about that anymore. But here is now our battle. Mm-hmm. Here is the thing that we need to do." Um, and yeah, and and I think with the Merry Pippin Treebeard stuff, uh, first of all, I think this is the superior John Rhys Davis performance in the trilogy. I was
1: wondering that too. I had that same thought. Is this better than Gimli?
2: I think in the way that that in the in the Frodo part of the movie it, it, it really does feel like that this is the Gollum entry this is the Smeagol entry for me and in, in this part of the story it really feels like this is this is Merry's one like and, and I think that Pippin gets the more compelling stuff to do in Return of the King mm-hmm. but he here uh, I think this is I think this is Dominic Monaghan's best I mean like the Hobbits are so much so much fun in the Shire at the start of Fellowship but like this this is where like I think it feels like Mary is actually able to step up and be mm-hmm. a real hero and still maintain that sense of fun and 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 that the, yeah they're still great to be around but yeah I, I love the way that that I, I think it's you know I think it's Donat Monaghan's best performance in yeah. a you know career that's for most people and you know me included is basically this and lost mm-hmm. um but i think he's you know i think he's this is probably the entry that i'd say Monahan yeah, monaghan gets the most to do and does the most with it
0: mary's demeanor change as he starts to like grip what's going on and then particularly to witness the sort of like as he views it the complacency of the ants is like mm-hmm. just really I think he does a great, a great job with that. Yeah. And again, the re- the
2: reflection of like the reflection of the the previous version of himself. Like, I was happy sitting in the Shire doing my mm-hmm. own thing. I didn't care what was going on in the wider world. Mm-hmm. But I've seen it, and you need to see it too. You need to believe it. You need to like we. This is all of our fight, and mm-hmm. that's you know that's kind of that's central to Lord of the Rings, isn't it? That you know everyone ultimately over the course of the three movies needs to step up to take down this enemy mm-hmm. in you know ways big or small.
1: With this movie in particular, it is, like, the thematic turning point of, like, the war is here, that's undeniable. Where are your allegiances going to be and, like, what actions are you going to take? That's kind of, like, what's uniting, I would say, the three storylines together. Mm
0: -hmm. War is here, whether you will or no.
1: Yeah, and it's, like, Treebeard is, like, he's, like, a parallel for, like, Theoden or something, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. these are the two leaders who are, like, deciding... I also feel like, Ned, at one point you hinted to me that you are a big tree beard stan, so I would love to know <laughs> what it is you love so much about him.
0: I think uh, I love that he is a big walking tree. <laughs> He's made out of bark. He's got a cool-shaped head. Uh-huh, he uh-huh. kicks orc ass left and right at the beginning and at the end. But really, really, it is it is the vocal performance. I mean, it's a combination. I think just this is a flavor of fantasy I find very pleasing. I think the... Design and execution of his look is totally successful. You know he is treeish and not treeish, and the kind of like amusing, out of touch, slow, rumbly dignity that he has is really. I cannot disagree with the statement that like this is John Reese Davies like really. Knocking it out of the park, maybe even more than Gimli. I, I think that Gimli is good in this movie, too, and we'll get to that. But just, like, all of his all of his line deliveries.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, Many of these trees were my friend. That's
1: what I was about to say. I found that line so devastating. The way yes. he says it, like, he is heartbroken, you know? Like, yeah. he really conveys that. And that's, like, a level of pathos that Gimli doesn't really get. Even in, like, Moria, when he finds his relatives dead, it's not as heartbreaking as... That one tree beard line.
2: So I, I I I do have a a slight tangent here with the <laughs> with the Ents. I think the I think this is the section of the movie that makes the case for the extended edition
3: the mm. most because
2: part of you know part of what is what is fantastic on the page and on screen about the Ents is how frustratingly slow they are. Mm-hmm. Is is how is them going and going, look, like, You know, it, it's such a great gag where he's like. Yes, we've just finished our introductions. You're <laughs> <I'm> like what? And <laughs> and the, and the, the uh, I I seem to remember the book does that as well, where it cuts back to them, and you've not been there for a while, and you're like,
0: "How's the end mood going?" Wait, what? What?
2: What do? You, <laughs> yeah, what do? What do you? What do you mean? really <laughs> just and like you, you completely feel their frustration. Um, but also, so there is a poem in the book which I really love and love to the extent that my wife and I had it as one of the readings at our wedding.
3: Yeah.
2: Um which is uh it was well, a poem but it's, it's a song called the Ent and the Entwife which Treebeard recites to Merry and Pippin and it's one of the extended scenes where Treebeard recites a passage of the poem not the whole thing to Merry and Pippin and it is this lovely kind of I mean one of what like some of its more successful than others in the book like I I can never get on with Tom Bombadil's weird fucking <laughs> songs that he's singing in in the Fellowship novel, but the it's it's this lovely lyrical, uh, you know, just really just richly bucolic poem that he drops in the middle, and it's about the Ents longing for the Entwives. So the the, the Entwives have kind of at some maybe the first age or whatever that the Entwives left, and it's a uh, it's it, it goes between the Ents and the Entwives speaking like um, one one verse to another and about how them, you know, kind of longing for each other and, and the the Ent is asking the Entwife to return and the Returner is, uh, the, the Entwife is, is kind of saying no and then they, 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 but there is this acceptance that eventually they will come back to each other and they're, the final line of the poem is where they're both speaking. It says, together we will take the road that leads into the West and far away we'll find a land where both our hearts may rest. And this, I, I just, I would love it in the novel. Um, I think it's such a beautiful poem. And this idea that eventually they will find each other. And for me, it really adds something as well about like, you, you see this, you see through it, like how the Ents have become isolationist kind of disconnected but they aren't rid of that longing and they aren't rid of that longing for connection and that and 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 for caring about things beyond their borders which is where the entwives have gone and knowing that eventually they will you know do you know from a story and a thematic point that eventually yeah they will venture past their borders and they will you know head somewhere else with the entwives when they're finally reunited and you know, and and that line about you know some of these trees were my friends, you know. Well, what, some of those trees could have been the entwives, and you know, like yeah, I, I it's I think it's a, I think it's like nice that it's included in the movie. I think mm-hmm. it's properly beautiful in the novel, but I, I it's one of those things that when I'm watching the extended edition, I'm like, I'm just glad this is here. Yeah. I think this is I think this is really sweet, and you know, and the fact that as you said that that, the performance can elicit that pathos and that emotion that. I think you're right. Like Gimli is fun; he's kind of like comedic relief within the fellowship, and and certainly within the Rohan section of this story. But you get a completely different side of him here. Um, complicated talking about John Rhys Davies these days, where in yeah. Britain, I'm not sure if you're aware, he's become he's become very. Uh, very Brexity is the mm, is the best sure. way best yeah. way of putting it. But he is also, you know, very
1: very tree beardy one might. <laughs> uh,
2: he's he's a very he's an older don't, white don't, man. Yeah, you don't know? slander he's...
0: tree beard. Yeah,
2: like sorry, that. sorry, Treebeard.
1: <laughs> I the whole time <laughs> in, in an American context. I was like, is tree beard like the Nancy Pelosi of the. <laughs> I feel like of the Theoden ends. is the Joe Biden of Middle Earth. Wow, <laughs> is Treebeard
0: huge compliment to <laughs> Joe Biden in my opinion.
2: <laughs> is that is that before or after he wakes up?
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing, oh, right? God. It's like he can be both. Yeah. Like I feel like there could be an element of Joe Biden. The dichotomy of Theoden is the dichotomy of Joe He's Biden. Kind of
0: like halfway in between the two.
2: Of <laughs> yeah, maybe Den- Denethor is Boris Johnson. Uh, sure, ooh. sure. When we get there. <laughs>
0: Um, let's, let's go and talk about, I think it's, I think it's Rohan time, and maybe we should talk about Theoden. Is he a good place to, to start in on, on that? I mean, he's the king. He's the king. Theoden is incredible.
1: Yeah. I think. Really good.
0: I, I think he, it's a performance that I appreciate more and more.
1: Same. Every single
0: time I watch it. Yeah, and definitely as I get old. I think as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, there's kind of this, this other human yeah. guy who's kind of like, he kind of serves a plot function. But the like... I mean, so many different modes. First off, his like, his old possessed Theoden is <laughs> f- so fun to me. That is probably my favorite scene. The like, the actual like exorcism of Theoden that Gandalf does <laughs> is to me probably the my personal favorite scene in the whole uh, wow. trilogy. I just, the like. Wow. Yes. I just love it. I mean, it's like. It is like, a fun scene. It's. I mean, you know, there's, it's well shot, there's good prosthetics, but it's mostly, like, acting-based. It's got this kind of, like, gothic horror. What? <laughs> you, did I, what Sorry, I, I just remembered the part
1: where, where Wormtongue is like, Gandalf the Grey can't do that. And in the most <laughs> dramatic way possible, Gandalf just, like, throws <laughs> off his cloak. <laughs> It's like, well, bitch, I'm Gandalf the White, and then starts doing <laughs> oh. his
0: little exorcism. There's, I was thinking, uh, in prepping for this, er, not really in prepping for this episode, but in struggling to fall asleep last night, I was thinking about like some of my favorite like nonverbal mouth sounds in this, and my favorite one is when Thane goes, Ha-ha-ha-ha. and then the cape comes off and he goes, <laughs> Gandalf uh,
1: really is such a like he has a, a flair diva. for the dramatic when he yes. needs to.
0: Yes, but that like uh Theoden doing the uh if I go Theoden dies that like whole mode is great but then when he goes into his like kind of old self he just in the same way that I said in the first movie like Boromir is a great cipher for humans yeah like Theoden really like He just carries this tremendous, like, weight on his shoulders, this, like, great responsibility. He does this amazing, like, grim musing. All the time he gets, like, lost in his head and kind of, like, asks rhetorical questions to himself. He just is such a, like, a beaten down human, which is, like, you feel like there's this kind of, like, bubble of optimism that carries the Fellowship. Like, that's why they are who they are. Like, they won't stop trying. And he sort of raises that question of, like, maybe he will stop trying you know he almost does at a couple points
2: mm-hmm. well well he uh, obviously at some point kind of did stop trying to give in to saruman and grimo and, and tongue in the first place yeah and then you know wakes up from that to be confronted with and while you did your son died
1: yeah mm-hmm. that and, scene is devastating yeah where he is. they're like
2: at the grave and and that kind of drives it and it's why I'm sorry, Caroline. To Neg Faramir again, but like, <laughs> like flawed, flawed nobility. I'm going to, I'm going to Theoden in this movie before I'm going to Faramir. Like yeah. that's, that, and that's you know he is trying to do the the right thing, but he's trying to do the right thing. But also, it kind of feels laced with, as you said, this defeatism. Mm-hmm. Like he's retreating to Helm's Deep because he thinks it's the it's the safest thing for his people. But you also get the impression that it's, well, I will get to write myself into the history books with this glorious last stand mm-hmm. at Helm's Deep mm-hmm. that ultimately yeah. failed and we all died, but King Theoden tried to save his people to the last.
1: You know why? Because he's a six and in stress, six goes to three. Okay, <laughs> never
0: mind. I'll stop. <laughs> don't stop. By all means. Uh, please don't stop. I I, I do want to know.
2: In this... in. This discussion of a high fantasy movie—you are talking language that I don't understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is my version of Elvis. Yeah, <laughs> I was—I was totally with you, Ned. That I feel like what we were talking about last episode of what Boromir. Boromir. Why can I not say his name? Bo- I don't know. Boromir. Where is the? Where are the R's and the O's? <laughs> uh, they the Boromir represents the sort of flaws of humanity. Mm -hmm. that you're not getting from someone like an Aragorn who is kind of like superhuman. I think Phaedon is really representing that in this movie, like the indecisiveness, the desire to do good. But as you say, Joe, the like sort of defeatism that's within there, like he is like painfully human in a way that sometimes is hard to look at. And I think similar to the way throughout my life, I've I've connected more to Boromir. I think I've connected more to theoden and the sort of like reality of that
0: he's just so suffused with grief and regret you mm-hmm. know like particularly starting as you say joe like he comes back to consciousness and be like you've been an absentee king and your son is dead and it's oh, like he face. has to yeah oh yeah that's uh, yeah i'm coming back to that scene like it's so triumphant at the end he's so he, like he makes me want to cry when he like is coming back to his consciousness
1: i think that really throughout the series but maybe you feel it a lot with theoden like you get the sense that The Lord of the Rings is a novel that was written by someone who fought in World War I and then was writing the books as World War II was happening. And I think, like, in as much as Tolkien says, like, n- n- none of these stories are designed to be, like, a one-to-one analogy for any particular war. I do mm-hmm. think they're infused with a lot of the reality of what war is like and the vulnerabilities of that. Like, I think that's what we keep connecting to and all like describing in various ways this like emotional vulnerability that the characters have with each other that maybe for men in particular and for men in medieval times and in the 1940s like maybe the only times you were kind of allowed to be vulnerable in this way was in these like intense war situations but like the scene where theoden is just kind of openly weeping over his you know for his dead son while gandalf is there like is such a tender And like private scene and like really, I don't know, it just really hits for a character who is introduced in this movie. Like he really makes such a a big
0: impression. He carries, I feel like, tremendous thematic weight Mm -hmm. and emotional weight through the movie. It's, yeah, it's, it it is really only struck me in later in life viewings, like how much, how much dramatic weight he's carrying. And I think he just pulls it off beautifully.
2: Yeah. And again, he's a he's a difficult character for audiences coming into this movie. I think. I remember the first the the first I saw of this movie was so in the interim between the first between Fellowship and Two Towers being released, there was some like preview special, like half hour show on on the TV and it was lots of, you know, like like junkety stuff with the actors talking about what it was like to make the second entry and how, you know, and, you know, talking through well, actually we made all three of these at the same time and that they, you know these you know what the experience of this was and the clip they showed from the movie was the it's the wargs isn't it the mm-hmm. the wolves and the mm-hmm. that the, the, the attack them as they're on the road to Helm's Deep. I remember watching it and being like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa what's what's this? That, that that landscape doesn't look like anything I saw in the first movie. Who's this guy?" Mm-hmm. Like. Who's this guy that's like front and center of the scene and talking to our heroes? And when you watch the movie, yeah, he is in that. He is in that role of like, he's not doing what our heroes are saying he should be doing. Like mm-hmm. Gandalf is saying to Aragorn, "You need to convince him of this." You know, you, and he, you know, we're we're going to Helm's Deep, which everyone is convinced is a terrible idea, <laughs> but you can see he's racked with it the whole time. Yeah. And I think he, I think, I think he really. I I I think you know you you do buy into this just like, and and ultimately, Lord of the Rings is a story about good versus evil, and that here is a character where you are, within the course of this film, able to see that inherently there is good there, mm-hmm. and to see that over the course of this movie, it helps that it all you know crescendos with. Actually, he was right; they went to Helm's <laughs> Deep, and it all works out okay because. What a, what a glorious! Because defense everyone they had. else
1: did the actual work to make yeah. things okay. The elves came. Gandalf went and got Aemir. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's very, I mean that's very controversial, Caroline, because the elves <laughs> do not come in the novel, and I think I think it's one of the few misjudgments here.
1: Ooh, I like it.
2: It's Celeborn, right? I think is the no, is the it's, name of the have...
3: Haldir.
0: Haldir. Oh,
2: Celeborn's... That's Galadriel's, uh, yeah, explicit,
0: Galadriel's. Yeah, Where is Gandalf the Grey? <laughs> 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 well, they, yeah.
2: oh who is it who's the actor that plays him
0: martin shokas is yes is, yes is, is Celeborn, yes. yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah um yeah i I think when the elves turn up at helms Deep, certainly having read the books before i'm like no nah, they didn't need the elves to win this mm-hmm. they want to they, they they did this without the elves it was rohan and these few stragglers of the fellowship that held the armies of Isengard mm-hmm. at bay and yeah, maybe it does make it more realistic. But when the elves march in, you're like, and it's like, and, and the movie plays it as this real, like, whew, the reinforcements are here. Mm-hmm. You're like, even me, as someone who by this point had watched Fellowship a bunch of times, I was like, who's that guy? <laughs> yeah. Who is that guy that's turned up? Has he come from Rivendell? Oh, no, he's, no, he hasn't come from. Oh. It
1: is confusing because he says, I'm sent by Elrond of Rivendell, but we know he's from. Lothlorian there's a whole thing where I'm sure you guys know this but originally there was this idea that Arwen was going to be fighting at Helm's Deep like I think the idea was that the weird the weird sorry to transition us to elf talk here but the weird like psychic scene where Galadriel and Elrond are just kind of like (laughs) mentally communicating I think is kind of a patched together version of a subplot where Elrond and Arwen were going to go to Lothlorien and like meet with Galadriel and maybe both send forces. And Arwen was going to be there as well. There's like footage of, I think there's like slight footage of, you know, behind the scenes footage of her fighting there. And they ultimately decide to scrap that, but they keep some of the elves being there. So it sort of becomes this weird, like, I think if you think about the logistics of it and who sent who, it's a little bit confusing, but... I on principle, like I quite like it. I think it's I think it's a nice. It adds to that theme of like everyone needs to come together and play their part in this, you know, battle and this like. Yeah, the elves are leaving, but they'll still you know send some reinforcements along the way. I also really low-key like Craig Parker as Haldir. Like I think he makes quite a nice impression for truly the like four lines he has to say between these
2: first two movies. I think that I think part of that, you know their absence from the movie up until that point. For me, makes it feel a, a little bit like, so what when they turn up?
3: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm just not emotionally invested
0: in these elves. Yeah, but what, what about when,
1: when, when Aragorn hugs when he gets him, him? Don't you get so excited? Like, oh, his elf buddies are here. He's I so do happy. like his little.
0: Oh, I don't I hug that often. Moment, yeah. but but I do. I don't know. I I, uh, I like him a little bit more now. I do recall. I mean, for many years it was like when he was dying. I was like, I, I don't know who this is. Yeah, <laughs> he's just another guy. You know. Yeah.
2: But, I do think, I I think it would have been an interesting choice to have had Arwen there. And, you know, if Arwen had turned up, I think you would have gone, oh, wow, yeah, okay. Here's this, here's this character who made a real impression in in the first movie turning up, but also may be right that she is not reunited with Aragorn until the end of the story.
1: Yeah, and I also wonder if it would have undercut Eowyn's I Am No Man in the third one to be like oh but we had you know are we fighting at helms deep when eowyn couldn't i don't know i yeah i i don't mind the elves being there i will say to step back even further like i love rohan so much like if i had to live in one place in middle earth absolutely give me the like horse kingdom like i (laughs) i love the music i love the vibe i love eowyn's dresses like i just mm-hmm. really think rohan is so cool and is such a cool world to introduce and explore in this movie and to give it a very different like flavor than we got in the last one
2: yeah those the strings on oh, so, good. So, so good so just, just i mean it's it's yeah that's that's the word it's and he's so good at doing that throughout these three movies where you return to these themes and you know exactly who or where you are you know this yeah. yeah
0: unbelievably good yeah you, the atmosphere that is created around Rohan like kind of instantaneously you mm-hmm. just like you get that place right away you're like yeah the the design and the, the
2: way that it reflects the people that all the ground is kind of you know is this uh, there, there are these big vistas but they're these craggy kind of almost like scorched slightly mm-hmm. you know it's it's like it's dry grass and rocks
1: yeah it's very beige um, a beige and, 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 green world
2: and that's how the people feel as well. Mm-hmm. They're real salt of the earth horse people who, you know, so cool. they they, Love them. they just they they just want to you know they they just want to live as fat They feel like the most the most human of the men. You yeah, know? I think, yeah. Um, Gondor and Osgiliath, you know, feel like very palatial Mm -hmm. you know it feels like it feels like you know it's the capital right it's it's uh, that's where that's where the you know the highfalutin stuff happens and business is done but Rohan is where the living
0: happens yeah you're right it it does make in the third film I think unfortunately a fault is that the like the sort of community at stake feels a little more abstract and here Mm -hmm. you like you really have just a vivid sense of like who these people are and you know to briefly do like a you know additional like extras and extras and bit parts shout out like i just think you got a lot i'd kind of forgotten how much the camera is trained on like featured extras in this Mm -hmm. you know like particularly that whole um like saying goodbye in the caves sequence before it's basically as all the like teenage boys and old men like are saying goodbye to their families to like go fight and die on the walls of helms deep and it's like I, I guess again, it's three hour movie, how pressed for time could they be? but with so much that they're trying to pack in, like it is kind of a nice slow paced moment of of seeing just the people of the community and you also you get that with the two kids who are sent on the horse by their mom yeah. which is devastating you get it with the uh, haleth son of Hama, who has that awesome <laughs> scene with aragorn such which a I good love. scene yeah this is a good sword there is always hope yeah what well, should we should we stick in should we, let's 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 stay in rohan any other yeah. uh, rohan performances we want to shout out
1: well we got to talk about our fave brother and sister duo and we exactly. we certainly
0: do yeah let's I feel let's like talk about the
1: other the other sort of like heart of Rohan I had forgotten actually I had forgotten how little both of them are in this like mm-hmm. Aomir, more so certainly like it really feels like Eomir has like three scenes he stands out more than maybe he would otherwise because he's played by Carl Urban who <laughs> went on to be so such a genre king uh-huh. um, but even Eowyn who's more featured Is not as featured as I remembered her being, either in theatrical or extended edition, actually. But um, I think credit to both Carl Urban and Miranda Otto that they contribute to that feeling of Rohan being its own place with its own people and their own customs and their own sense of morality, and how these, like, this niece and nephew are trying to deal with their (laughs) uncle king being, uh, you know, (laughs) possessed, like going through supernatural (laughs) dementia. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
2: I think I think Carl Urban. is a very meat and potatoes, or a very mm-hmm. conies and chips uh, <laughs> performance from. Karl I love Urban. the phrases Where... you bring to our podcast show. The <laughs> <laughs> things I would never think to say. Um, I think he's. I think he's fine. I think he does. I think he does well within the role. But I, I think the reason we we kind of yeah think anything more of that performance uh, at the, at the time. You know, it barely registered with mm-hmm. me. It's, it's more the facts that you like every, every time it's almost like, oh, yeah, Carl Urban. <laughs> mm-hmm. huh. Yeah, there he, he is. I,
0: I think that it really worked for me when I first watched it. I think now it is a little hard to like ignore the Carl Urban of it all to like turn that off. But he did always, he stuck out to me, but I'm like, maybe he stuck out to me because he like wears cool armor and he rides around on a horse with like 300 yeah. of his best buddies. <laughs> <also> <laughs> he's got a great horses. beard
1: situation. He's got a good beard. Situation.
0: He does that thing in this movie and the next one where he like picks up a spear and like throws it and then catches it the like the other way and throws that. Yeah, A.M.R. is, is uh he's, he's there's not a ton there, but he handles his business well, I think, particularly mm-hmm, yeah. in his, in his uh, scene where he meets an elf a dwarf and a man in the Ritter mark. but eowyn i think is really a lot of pathos for limited screen time yeah you get her whole like her crossing swords with aragorn and her like what do you fear a cage and she wants to fight i now see it as like that part of her arc like wanting to be a warrior of rohan is really her third movie arc in this one like the main thing to me seems to be crushing on aragorn And she does (laughs) such a good job of doing that important, relatable work of crushing on Aragorn, of just being like totally heartbeating, like head over heels, like I am so crushing on this guy right now.
1: I mean, she's literally a horse girl princess who likes to fight and immediately falls in love with Aragorn. What could be more relatable? (laughs) You said it. Than that combination of things. I had forgotten. I think I had been remembering the little quick sword fight scene in this movie. And then obviously I am no man. Like that had really colored my entire sort of memory of how Eowyn acts all the time. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like surprised by how like she's she is really a gentle caretaker for a lot of this movie as well. Like a lot of it is her being like I'm trapped in this terrible situation where this little literal worm of a man
3: has
0: (laughs)
1: possessed my uncle and all I can do is try to be like a good person within that system
0: such a weird throwback but Caroline do you remember East of Eden whatever that was her name mm -hmm. is it Alma or something that like one Jay's basically like (laughs) I am a woman with like near infinite patience in a house full of impossible men (laughs) and uh, the way you're describing that just like calls me back to that but yeah it is like you really, particularly in that, particularly in those chapters before, as you're alluding to, like before the fellowship shows up, you're like, damn, she is in a tough spot here in this castle. She's in a tricky, a tricky position.
1: Julie Harris says Abra. Abra? and Abra, right, right, in right. In East of Eden. That's a good pull. I also just real quick, I don't think when we were praising and we ever said Bernard Hill's name, so just to say that <laughs> out Hill loud. These are the kind great. of movies where like all these people just feel so much like the characters they play that sometimes mm-hmm. I almost forget to compliment the actors. You yes. know what I mean? They Thank feel
0: you for so... saying Miranda Otto. She's great casting, you know, but she, yeah. she just fits right in. And
2: I've struggled with her more than other elements of mm-hmm. this movie over the years. And I think probably watching the movie for the first time as a teenage boy just...
1: You were like a Not strong female character. Get her out of here. <laughs>
2: less, less so that because you know, first movie. You were like a very Mary much...
1: Sue. Oh no, we can't have this. Oh no. no, just
2: kidding. Very much, very much into Arwen and Galadriel in the first movie, mm-hmm. and then her turning up in this had just been a little bit like, yeah, okay, I guess she's there as well. And I think the yeah, the the pining after Aragorn. I think I think partic- maybe what is thrown at her character in terms of her arc over the over these two movies is is also a little bit it it feels kind of like huh, okay especially now like oh, oh what the big revelation is I am no man it's like yeah yeah that that like that that's that shouldn't be shocking or surprising to me that like it and it it, it it almost feels frustrating in this world that, you know, there is there is quite a lot of empathy and, you know, that, you know, characters with a lot of emotional intelligence that Eowyn is just at the side and not allowed to fight for so long and that it's, you know, her and Merry have to have to kind of join the fight together in the third movie and you're like, these two shouldn't be on the same level, <laughs> you know? Like, like I love Merry, but, you know, dude is, like, three foot six uh... yeah yeah and and there's no combat experience like i i I think it that's that's what's always been frustrating to me about the character over the years is that the pining over aragorn i i think does her a bit of a disservice obviously she ends up with boring old faramir which also isn't great
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's a real um it's a real like joe and laurie but then laurie ends up with amy to reference little women that's kind of how i yes. always think about faramir and eowyn but like i don't mean that as an insult i love i love amy yeah, makes, and laurie together it makes and I, like,
2: sense but it also there is that there is that thing it's in the a back little of bit mind, of like, like was
1: this a second choice
2: they, yeah they've both settled a bit right mm-hmm. have they
1: but yeah. they'll work it out and it'll be great and they'll <laughs> they'll have a good time i wonder if maybe some but of, anyway, sorry
2: uh, can i just, yeah, yeah, just to finish that point because i feel like it has it's just been me being negative about the performance. <laughs> I do think I I have definitely appreciated it more over the years. Where I'm like, oh yeah, no, there is there is there is more of a function. There is more of an interesting character here that I probably wasn't like. It just wasn't cool in the mm-hmm. way that some of the other characters were cool when I was a teenage boy. And I do think it's a good. I, I think I I think particularly in the first half of this movie, when when she's trying to when she's trying to free Theoden from his you know his. And when she's, you know, snapping at Worm Tongue, and, and 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 that she actually feels like she has some agency and something to do, I think what's fr- frustrating in the second half of this movie is that it doesn't. It it really does feel like she's kind of like caught at the caught at the edges, like off to, off at the side. Mm-hmm. um Obviously, she gets you know she gets that redemption again in the third movie, but in this one. Yeah, kind of just just wanted a bit more. But I do think that I've certainly got more and more out of that performance the more I come back to the mm-hmm. movie. And yeah, and and they kind of... I think as well that when you come back to her, the shift in dynamic and the way that she talks to characters in a way that they don't tend to talk to each other, certainly after the Hobbits have been separated at the end of the first movie where that, that kind of earnestness and emotional connection and that femininity really becomes a strength and the way that she bonds with Mary in the third movie. Yeah, I think she's I think she's really great in the first half of this. You kind of wish there was a bit more for her to do in the second mm. half, but the 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 structure of the story and her kind of she can't be a part of the Battle of Helm's Deep, otherwise her you right. know, her role on the battlefield in Return of the King wouldn't make sense. Yeah.
0: And for discussing the complete and performance, I'm a fan of the super comedy scene where she makes a really bad <laughs> soup and Aragorn Gets to do a comic bit unlike anything else he does in the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that's why like, I don't
1: lie. I'm like, this does not feel like Aragorn to me.
0: And he goes, oh, it's good. It's good. Yeah,
1: I don't I don't like it. I like... Uh, I mean, we discussed this. He's being this. nice. He's we- being,
2: he, doesn't, he doesn't want to upset the nice Yeah, lady. but he
1: just would have eaten. I don't know. The bit of like, I'm going to pour it out. Oh no, she's coming back. I, I'm glad that they cut that scene from the true versions, brought. the theatrical versions. <laughs> I like Eowyn and... Um, I mean, I, I revealed last week, I'm a big Aragorn Arwen shipper, but I quite mm-hmm. like the Eowyn Aragorn. Mm-hmm. God, all these fucking names are sound identical
3: when you say them <laughs> out loud.
1: Um, I like the Ar- aragorn Aowen <laughs> dynamic and the like, of course you get what the appeal of her is to him and why, like they totally vibe. And you do feel like if, he, if Arwen did decide to go West and Aragorn had to marry someone else, like, yeah, you totally, you totally get the appeal and the connection between the two of them, and I like that that can coexist alongside what I think is the really nice Aragorn Arwen love story. It's not like a love triangle where it's like ooh jealousy and bad people. It's just like a genuine like oh three good people and they've just got to figure out the right combo once Faramir enters the picture.
2: And the, and the and the Peter Jackson and uh, you know the uh, and the. Pippa Walsh and Fran Boyens—they—they they, they all know, you know, with in in the scripts that you don't need to play it as a will. They will not they. You, we we have established in the first movie the strength of the relationship that he is in, but that you can you can still have that kind of fizzle of chemistry here and that you know they they bond fairly quickly, don't they? And mm-hmm. you can tell that you know he has a lot of respect for her, but there isn't this. Oh, are they going to hook up by the end of this? Oh, no, that's not a, that's not a that's not an element of this story. That's not something that the audience is wondering about. Because I
1: think for a lot of people it might be though. I think we last week we had guests that were a guest that was a very very much into Aowen and Aragorn as a pair. So I think there definitely are people on both sides of the.
2: I don't. I, I just divide. mean like not not that not that you can't ship it, but that I don't think the movie ever presents it as a as a viable possibility because you know Aragorn is the noble king who is and he's got the necklace and you know (laughs) why has he got the necklace so let's have a flashback and find out
0: I think it is hard for us who have seen these movies so many so many so many times to remember what it is like to see them for the first time but I do think like on a first viewing like lots of things are in question to which I also want to note like as part of a, a memory of my first viewing of this, how much I take every apparent death at face value. I had no idea yes. absolutely that Aragorn was coming back. <laughs> I thought Sam Cute. was going to drown at the end of the first movie. Yeah. And I literally thought that Pippin was killed by being crushed by a horse. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's so sad. But as a, you there know. Are,
2: a... There are a lot of death fake outs in this yes. movie.
0: And every Have time.
2: I think the best, is Aragorn, right?
0: Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I think. Well, I don't know. I guess it I knew. it feels a
1: little random. It gives us the doors so I can't be mad at it, but it does feel like a little bit of a I guess I felt sorry, like he I- was definitely tangent. coming back,
0: but but I don't know. I cuz I think somebody I think by the time I saw the second movie, someone had told me like, oh, Aragorn from the first one, he's the king in the Return of the King, and I didn't know so all the you titles. Knew. But I I thought I thought Merry and Pippin dead for sure. I mean, literally, <laughs> they said they said yeah. they burned all the bodies and they play that scene yeah. with the, you know, with Uh, Amir telling them they play that scene pretty straight like they do it's another like we've lost another member of the fellowship like damn and then so when they come back you're like ooh. fun
2: I was stunned when reading the two towers in between watching the first and second films that Gandalf was back Mm
3: -hmm.
1: yeah that struck me on this rewatch too it's like I'm assuming everyone kind of knew at this point that gandalf was coming back i feel like that was even part of the marketing maybe i didn't. I can't remember but they play it really well the reveal here of like there's a white wizard of course it's saruman we've got to prepare to beat him they do the cool effect where they're kind of blending christopher lee's voice with ian mckellen's voice like if you didn't know this was coming this would be such a fun reveal of like gandalf is back and now he's in his sassy white uniform
2: and it makes it makes sense in the narrative as well That so i I, yeah the way that they blend the voices you i feel like i i I kind of like find myself like forgetting little bits about these movies or little bits of context and then kind of going oh no 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 it does make sense and the 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 thing there with like uh, yes it's very smart to use christopher lee's voice to obscure it but you know in in universe, it benefits Gandalf for people to think mm-hmm. that it's Saruman in in the forest, walking around, and that he's not back yet. And the and also the confusion, you know, that he doesn't fully know himself yet. Um, yeah, I I think that really works. The reason I said I thought they get the Aragorn fake out, not the death itself, because it doesn't play it for that long either. But because yes, it gives us the draw moment, and also I think like for the first moment, it makes that character feel fallible. And it me- mm-hmm. and especially when you're when you're going into Helm's Deep, which I think another one of the reasons that Haldir turns up is because someone we know needs to die, mm-hmm. and yeah. none of none of that none of our heroes that we're following there are going to die. But I think it lends it that extra sense of jeopardy that you've just seen. Oh, our kind of like our strongest warrior has has just nearly perished at the hands of this fucking warg like it's yeah. it, like it, it, it it's almost nothing right and 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 that that could be that and so when you get to helms deep i think it it does add to that extra sense of jeopardy that one of our heroes might not make it out mm-hmm. but yeah as you're saying like the, i first time i watched it first time i read it i definitely took all of this at face value
0: i think it's time to push open the big double doors on discussing <laughs> aragorn <laughs> so uh who wants to who wants to jump in on aragorn in this film Everyone wants to jump Yeah,
1: yeah that's <laughs> right. So nothing has ever been truer. I actually, this is what I put in my Letterboxd review, was just that uh-huh. Vigo Mortensen has the most insane chemistry with every single person he interacts with this movie. And I would be like... I'm ready to watch you kiss Gimli. I'm ready to watch you kiss Gandalf. I'm ready to watch you kiss Eowyn. Like, they are, he is vibing with every person with that horse. Like,
0: to father this child, you know, raise it's yeah, yeah, set of Handa. Yeah, don't, exactly. Don't start me on the horse.
2: That, <laughs> if Aragorn's the sexiest man in this movie, Shadow Facts is the sexiest horse. Me. Oh,
1: I had Shadowfax Facts on my honorable mentions of performers to mention in this film.
3: The mi- He's the lord, lord of, the of the horses.
2: horses. <laughs> the movie definitely introduces Shadowfax Facts as, like, obviously. See, so never would but if you if you did want this, to do something we, course, it's like this the this
1: fast the time scene of like coming out of the pool in the bikini but about it's the, the horse, horse. yeah there
0: is something very sort of rom, like traditional traditional like windswept rom dram about the way that
3: yeah. appears.
0: it's like
2: it's like warhorse where you're like why does everyone want to fuck this horse <laughs> <laughs> like is that i don't like War Horse the movie <laughs> and, i've never right, seen it but like, that
1: might have just sold me on uh
2: I mean, just, like, inexplicably, everyone seems to want to fuck that horse. Yeah. And it really (laughs) really changes your view of the movie when you see it through that lens. But Shadowfax is introduced absolutely like that <laughs>
1: but the, that the, the sense of awe over shadow facts is also like the sense of awe that everyone has about aragorn like everyone that interacts yes. with aragorn is kind of instantly in love with him like eowyn the most obviously but like it's there with gimli and legolas too right like they're like we will follow you into battle literally and you know spiritually like i,
2: I it's I, phenomenal casting and you must have yeah. talked about it last week that it's just it's insane that he just kind of turned up on set and did that. That that it was a recast and that he it wasn't going to be Vico Mortensen. And then you you think about these movies with someone else, and it doesn't it doesn't no. compute. Yeah. Like uh, he's he's so perfect. I think that kind of uh, you know the. The kind of slightly weird accent he's got because he what's his, his heritage is he's
1: what Danish and American. Danish I, and American I think one of his parents is Danish. And, like he and had those one of those childhoods where he like lived
2: all over Argentinian maybe as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And there's that slight kind of mysterious of a worldliness to him and he's he's got I mean, every time he touches someone's face with those like half fingered leather gloves <laughs> mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah.
1: Dirty hands but like beautiful rings.
2: It's such a tactile performance. I mean that's the other thing with the the Theoden performance, right? That with the way that Bernard Hill plays it, is the moment he cocks him, he's like, ah, shit, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know when someone's like that, you know that's no man, that's that's your king. And Theoden kind of uh, straight away sees it, but the kind of unspoken politics between the two of them, Mm -hmm. where like Aragorn would never overstep here. This is the king of Rohan, Mm -hmm. but also Theoden's like. Mm (laughs)
1: <laughs> the yeah. line is so yeah. funny to me when Théoden's like, I thought Théoden, not Aragorn, was king
3: of yes. <laughs> I was like,
1: I'm always like, why are you talking about yourself in third person and the person you're talking to in third person? Like, you weirdo.
0: That's just the shit that kings do. That's how yeah, it is I guess kings so. talk to other yeah. kings. they
1: just know? only third person. I am really trying to pace myself. I have to, like, save some Aragorn, some gas in the tank for Aragorn for Return yeah. of the King. But I'll just say here, you know, I've said... I've said that it feels like, to some extent, it's almost like these actors aren't giving performances. They're so authentic to their characters. And I think that's true of all of them. But with Viggo Mortensen, I I don't think he is acting. I think the genuine spirit of Aragorn, son of Arathorn possessed him and just, came man. alive in this performance. <laughs> like, And I say that because, as evidenced by this podcast, I often will really like an actor's performance in something and then get very into their the rest of their career and really appreciate different facets of their you know performances over their career I cannot emphasize how much I care about Aragorn and how little I care about Viggo Mortensen as an actor. Not that I dislike him, but I feel no pull to be, like, keeping up with Viggo and following his career in the way I do with the Christian Bale or Dev Patel. Mm-hmm. I just think that this is Aragorn. He just became Aragorn. He is au- He is authentically <laughs> Aragorn. That's the only way that I can kind of, like, describe it or comprehend it. Because it feels beyond a performance it just feels like being this person on screen and it's so wildly compelling and so key to the success of all three movies
0: yeah you become just so familiar with him there's something about him just like from like the first time he appears on screen just kind of like continually continuing to just like fight bravely through everything that somehow like really grows him as a character you just really start to like understand the dimensions of him even though he Kind of is responding to most situations the same way, which is being like, I'm going to do the right thing and be brave and fight. But it's just awesome to watch, which is, you know, and not to mention, he also has the unbelievably satisfying scene where he fucking tracks the hobbits. Wild. And is like,
1: the wildest thing I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> he's just looking at inscrutable ground and being like hobbits lay here like, they were oh, Yes, just one
1: was wearing a hat one yeah. was wearing a scarf
0: <laughs> but is like as absurd it is the way in which it like has this satisfying emotional arc like
1: a hobbit lay it starts here. as him
0: being like it starts being so melancholy being like my dead friend was right here and then the delivery of their bonds were cut which changes the energy and then the legolas and Gimli start following him and the music picks up you're like oh my god we're back we're back in the game the hobbits are back aragorn is going to take us to them
2: what madness drove them in there yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: i do think as well a lot of credit needs to go to the scene partners with Viggo Mortensen because because
1: mm-hmm. they all play it like they're in love with him
2: yeah they all well, they all play it like it. there is just this automatic acknowledgement of wow there's something about this guy
3: mhm
2: and you know the way that the way that Gimli and legolas in this movie two characters who are in you know a, a, a great running bit that is taken directly from the book about who's going to kill the more people mm-hmm. which when i read for the first time i was so invested in who's going to
3: win <laughs> that um, <cute.
2: laughs> and the yeah and the the constant like you know oh 45 or whatever it is when you just firing an arrow into the guy twitching on mm-hmm. the ground yeah. but yeah they they're engaged in this but like who's the better warrior and yes it's fun but you know it's like a little bit of friendly competition and like, and then Aragorn would say something. It's like, "Yes, sir. What's, what's yeah. that? What's yeah. that that you want? What's that that we should be doing next?" Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we both absolutely uh, bow to you. And these aren't, you know, these aren't men. These aren't his people, but they just they just get it. Yeah. They, you know, yeah. and and I think that you know that's something that I'm sure is you know something that was was drilled into all of the performers that they needed to kind of reflect that when they were seen partners with Viggo Mortensen, but also Viggo Mortensen commands that and 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 it feels justified when they act that way around yeah maybe it
0: wasn't drilled into them and it just happened spontaneously in the presence (laughs) because aragorn came to life in him
1: and i like i mean i mean this in a kind of like joking funny way but i also mean it as a like a compliment to the performance that i think other than maybe like paul newman and cat on a hot tin roof this is like the hottest anyone has ever been in cinematic history and that is so key to why it works right like that is why people remember this two second shot of him pushing open these doors because you need to convey exactly what you're describing joe the sense of like they will follow him and honor him and like he is the, the tip top of everybody you need to convey that and conveying it through sheer like visceral attractiveness yeah Yeah. magnetism charisma and then it's like but that is also tied into the gentleness of it and the femininity of it and the like that is the that is all in the in the pot in the stew to what makes aragorn just like so insanely compelling to watch
2: there's something in his in the timbre of his voice right that slightly unusual like and maybe is mm-hmm. a slight bit of femininity the mixture of the long hair and the jewelry with the but the long hair is kind of greasy and wet mm-hmm. all of the time <laughs> mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and, and and you know the stubble and but he's yeah he's rugged and,
1: and every once in a while he'll make a joke like when he's like oh yeah the dwarf ladies have it's the beards like he when he yeah. cracks a joke you have like oh he really, really earned the, the right
2: yes. to joke Aragorn is unbelievably attractive and Viggo Mortensen who is you know I I think uh, a handsome attractive man but there are you you look through his career and you you wouldn't go like what what are the other performances that are particularly like sexy or hot from Viggo Mortensen I'm not sure that's something that I would really associate with him throughout his career
1: no, it's again. This is not a Vigo Mortensen performance. This is Aragorn, son of Aragorn, living real, on yeah. our screen. This is yeah. This is the real Aragorn.
2: He's not buff either, right? That's no, another thing. No, like, no he's, not at he's all. He's just there's and there's never any scene that like is thirsting over his body. It's just that it, it's it's an aura. It's mm-hmm. just yeah. It's it's something. There's something additional there that's completely undefinable, but yeah, it's not it's not like a, a Marvel superhero,
1: right? It is it, a- it it almost does feel more if we're talking about that feminine and like, this is a more f- female gazy depiction of a male hero in a way that I think Marvel, even, I don't know like it, the Marvel is holding up their heroes as like they're super hot and cool, but it is more in that like masculine ideal male gazy. They're really hunky and muscular. He's
0: He's got the, the helicopter.
2: Cheese, cheesecake, cheesecake comics. Yeah, like, look at these exactly, muscles. Exactly,
1: exactly. And that's like, that's like in a way, I think sometimes what men think women find attractive. Sorry to be so heteronormative in all of these terms, but like in the most basic cultural way, I think like, oh, this is what, you know, this is what women find hot. Like this guy posing with his muscles, but actually what women find hot is greasy air horn pushing open doors. or or equally great where he's riding off to fight the wargs and sort of like turns around to look at eowyn while he's riding a horse and then like slowly turns back around um or in helms deep where he's he's got he's got this like one moment where he kind of like pulls his sword back before he charges like there's all these great (laughs) little quiet contemplative moments or the scene where he understands what the scared teenage boy like There's nothing Aragorn can give him in a tangible way that will help him. He can't, he doesn't have a better weapon to give him or there's not time to train him. All he can do is be like, I'm going to fucking make you think that this sword is the coolest weapon ever and tell you that it's going to be okay. And that will inspire you. And that's the most important thing I can do to help you in this moment. Like his gentle, again, it's like a caretaking instinct of understanding what that kid needs in that moment and just like quietly giving it to him. Is so oh so good.
0: That's a leader of the people. Again, yeah, it's that same yeah. thing we talked about last. And you're like, this is a guy that I want to be my king. If we exactly. got to have a king. I want to be exactly.
1: this. Exactly, and this is why freaking um George rr Martin. One of his like favorite quotes he says when he's like, why did he make Game of Thrones? He's like, oh, it was because you know, Lord of the Rings is so archetypal, like. I always wanted to know, like, I don't want to know these big battles, like, what's Aragorn's tax policy going to be? And he almost says it as, like, a gotcha. And I was like, I would fucking trust Aragorn to write the tax code more than I would trust just about anyone else. He's so he's so kind and generous. Like, that is the man that I want writing the the tax code for Gondor.
2: I also feel like I need to reiterate the gloves are, are, are mm-hmm. very important.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I don't know why, but him, him, him wrapping his gloves over someone's palms as he gives them something like that's, that is cinema. Cost- <laughs> Costume
0: department. It takes a village to make a character. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love when he fights with Legolas and then they make up. That's really cute. I love his little scene, his little look to Gimli when he's going to like toss him.
1: So good. when we
0: break the rules of the you know, a sequel has to like break the rules that the first installment establishes. Like the first installment established no one tosses a dwarf. Yeah. But in this one, someone does toss a dwarf. But yeah, that little look down. So smear. Yeah. If he is kind
1: <laughs> of if if Aragorn's kind of flirting with Legolas throughout this whole film, his flirtiest moment with Ginley is when he goes it's a long way. He just kind
0: of, he doesn't (laughs) say exactly what
1: he means, but he's like, "Hmm, you know what's going to happen. He's just got this
0: low key look to his face sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. everything is going to be fine. I don't know. It's very soothing. He's kind of very soothing. Yeah, you really trust him.
2: Well, and he, and, and he stays so level headed for so much of it that when he does kind of like finally turn to bark instructions or, you know, the moment in the third movie where he, you know, just shows real visceral disgust at the at the the mouth of sauron that comes out at the which i think is an extended scene actually yeah um yeah it just, again proves proves the point <laughs> there <content>. to win. <laughs> yeah i probably have yeah. never seen it uh, honestly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no when you know when he's fully disgusted with the creatures that are coming out at the gates of uh mordor yeah it, it's it's a real it, it, it always kind of like gives you a little jolt of Oh wow, and there's the mo- you know, or, or when he goes and recruits the you know the army of the dead and
3: mm-hmm.
2: has to suddenly you know it has to be as much of a threat as it is a promise. Um, yeah, I think he's I think he's wonderful throughout these three movies, and it's it almost seems crazy to me that you know you get like a full hour of movie the first time around before he turns up, mm-hmm. and it and it feels like wait how is the how is the that much of of this that didn't have him in it because. Yeah. Yeah, he's incredible. He's so yeah. key.
1: And I'm sure, Ned, that we'll talk about this a lot more next week, but the, I think one of the bigger changes from the books to the movies is really adding this like reluctant leader arc onto Aragorn, which, mm. if memory serves, I think is not so much there in the In the book, it's more just like expected that he'll become the king. But I think the addition of that is a really smart way to make him a more relatable character. And I also think the way they play that arc is so great and subtle, and the way two towers in particular is fitting in as this turning point of, again, if this is a movie that's about like allegiances and how are you going to contribute to this war, it's like Aragorn has just kind of been he's like, the best way I can be a good citizen is just kind of be this ranger and do good in these, be this like Batman figure and do good in these small shadowy ways Mm -hmm. and and getting to (laughs) Rohan and getting to Rohan and seeing the dynamics there and seeing like Theoden is not stepping up as a leader in the way he needs to and how important it is to have a king and to have a leader and to try to contribute as a leader while still respecting Theoden's you know role in the hierarchy there and then how all all of his experiences here then feed into how much he's stepping up in a even bigger way in the third one like I think all of that is charted so deftly and so subtly and so and so beautifully played by Vigo
0: and unsurprisingly because it's it's really Aragorn yeah
2: and there's, and there's no one crucial moment, is there? Mm-hmm. There's no, this is the moment where he embraces his role. Yeah. It's at yeah. it's 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 the start of this movie. He's like, well, okay. So I was in the fellowship because <laughs> I kind of saw Frodo in a pub. And then I <laughs> took him to this place and then I got, you know, it made sense for me to then go for them, for them to mm-hmm. carry, carry on. And then two of them are in danger. So I was going to save them and it's like, yeah, at that point, he's not really—he's not really going. Yes, I need to embrace a role in this rebellion, in this, in this fight against Sauron and Saruman. But he slowly, slowly, up until the point that he recruits the the army in the third movie, which is the point where he he can't refuse the call anymore. He he basically to make this deal, he has to be saying yes. Eventually, I will embrace my my destiny. Almost, but yeah, it. It happens very, very slowly over the course of those movies, and you're right. And it this is the one where he crucially is, you know, kind of inserting himself into the without overstepping, mm-hmm. but inserting himself into the into the wider fight properly for the first time.
0: Yeah. Any thoughts for Lego Lesser Gimli? Any additional shout outs for any of the work they're doing here?
2: Zoe
1: malpy our our guest last week, really stood up for Orlando Bloom's performance in this. Um trilogy and i was really feeling it on this one i'm i'm guessing he was probably one of the actors that got a lot of time in the pickups and reshoots they would do every year they kind of shot the bulk of all three movies in one go and then every year they'd go back to new zealand and shoot you know more things to fill in whatever they needed my guess is after he popped in such a big way in the first one that they gave him a lot of additional stuff in this one and i think orlando bloom like really steps up to the plate like i think he really feels like in the first one he was like "Ooh, i'm a cool aloof elf dude but this time mm-hmm. i'm like yeah i'm invested in this weird little fight he's had with aragorn and sort of you know his noble friendship with Gimli." like i think he he orlando bloom is really growing across this series and that stood out to me on this rewatch
2: yeah again i think this this might be his best of the three
1: yeah films. you're probably right i think uh,
2: you know i i I I would also stand up for his performance across this trilogy and you know I think I think the reason not to is the context of the rest of his career right where he is a bland pretty boy <laughs> who's been like actively pretty bad in a couple in a couple of movies interesting and uh, you know and I, and I think you know g- g- he was coming out of this it was like is this our next movie star leading man and it and it it didn't happen for him you know whether that was action movies or rom-coms or whatever but i think in these yeah it's it's another case where it's like you can see why hollywood might have thought that coming out of mm-hmm. these he's yeah. he is the action star he is funny he's gorgeous in it in a completely different way yeah. to aragorn mm-hmm. but like he's a he's a handsome man and he's yeah. a sexy elf
0: he skateboards with- down there he, he surfs down the uh the staircase <laughs>
2: Which again, a moment I will defend. It's cool. It's, yeah, it's, cool. it's so it's cool. It's, it's
1: fun in this one. I think they push it too far in the third one, but I enjoy it here with the ollie. Oh, the,
2: with the with the yeah, yeah the ollie fun. Yeah, too much. Um, but but then I like he's an elf, so elves can do that stuff, <laughs> whereas the where, where the others might not. But yeah, I, I I agree. Maybe maybe do push it a little bit too far. But yeah, I think Orlando Bloom is very good in these. And yeah, again, the the kind of the kind of the the that those that central trio there of of Legolas Gimli and Aragorn they just they just work as a trio they're really good they do yeah they do indeed
0: how about gandalf kind of a light movie for him i mean mm-hmm. what is like his main thing is that he has two triumphant returns in this movie
3: <laughs> he has his first
0: like i'm not dead i'm actually back Which I think is a great moment. You're like, oh, yay! I mean, again, like, maybe some people would suspect that he was coming back, but you're like, oh, my friend is back. And then, you know, his triumphant return in the end. I mean, this is less about the McKellen performance. Uh, but the like the sequence from uh, from Aragorn saying, Ride out with me and then you get like, uh, now for wrath, now for ruin. Mm-hmm. You get fourth Aer Lingus, and then they go out and then they're uh-huh. fighting, and then Gandalf and the Rohirrim come up and then they charge down the hill and then it yeah. cuts to the ends, like wrecking shit in Isengard. That's like five minutes that are just like as just real punch high area. up there, like fuck yeah, mm-hmm. as you can get in film. But yeah, I think McKellen, like, he doesn't have I think quite the emotional Neither the volume nor the like quality of emotional moments that he gets to do in the first mm-hmm. film. But I think he still is like, this is a great actor doing a great job with this role. I think he just, he's a guy who knows how to make his lines like count. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. throw away a single line. They're all clear and dramatic and interesting. And you can sort of tell his point of view.
1: I think similar to the way I had been misremembering the end of Aowen's arc as sort of her whole character. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason that last week I gave my my Lord of the Film Award to Ian McKellen is because, to some degree, like Gandalf the White, because he's the one we follow for two movies, like he was a little more in my mind and rediscovering the playfulness of Gandalf the Grey in the first movie was such a wonderful surprise. And I do think, intentionally so, Gandalf does switch more into a little bit of that stoic... Uh, mentor like traditional wizard <laughs> what an insane thing to say More you know, traditional real. wizard yeah yeah <laughs> he becomes he loses the playfulness I think it's uh, McKellen does that very well but I think that also makes Gandalf a little bit um less interesting maybe although I will say I love the moment when he first reunites with Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli and and Aragorn's like Gandalf and he goes Gandalf that is what they used to call me. They used to call me. And it conveys this whole sense of like, he has been through something that is not a normal thing people experience. Like he died and was reborn. And yes, it is the same person, but also kind of it's not the same person. And I think that one line really conveys a
0: lot of that. I also enjoy political Gandalf, which we see in this Mm. a little bit. We're going to get more of that in in the sort of mire of of Minas Tirith in the third film. But we, we get to see him, you know, just like trying to influence human politics and military strategy, and just like feeling frustrated. So I was
1: about to say, is Gandalf the AOC of this political? <laughs> I <laughs> I, I think in in this Metaphor movie,
2: I've Gandalf I, it's almost he's more of a, an icon, and it's what he represents more than in the other mm-hmm. two. So in, in Return of the King is is full on Gandalf the White. Fellowship is full on Gandalf the Gray, and I do think Fellowship is his is his best movie. But here yeah it's it's you know you open the movie with him with frodo dreaming of him and and you know haunted by his his fall and 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 what that meant because you know that that really was the moment the fellowship broke and, and yeah he's it, it, it so much of this movie is what he means to people, what he means to. Uh, and and you know setting setting Aragorn, Legolas, and Gim- Gimli back on the right path mm-hmm. after uh, after after they reunite. But yeah, he's not he's not in a lot of it. What for me stands out is the is the showdown with Saruman. Just from a, from a character point of view, that's a that is just a real like fuck yeah, this guy is stepping as steps up and gets to come back and has uh, and have his revenge on Saruman here and kind of like go no 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 we we're on a we're on a level footing here. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't just automatically get to beat me anymore. And 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 I like the the touch of mysticism that there is in his rebirth with the, which is it, You know, isn't isn't something that the movie, you know, that the story really delves mm-hmm. into that much. But the the idea of kind of some unseen force in the world pushing gandalf back out there as a force for good and almost like the the white wizard that the world needs Mm -hmm. has disappeared and we need and we need to give it one back and yeah i i I think it's a i think it's i think he's a really important part of this movie Mm -hmm. even if he's not necessarily there but but when just say whenever he does reappear it's like oh yeah yeah just you know, Gandalf being back is just just reassuring. And anytime he's on screen you feel you feel like you feel safer in his
0: hands. Yeah. Than yeah. Than We're gonna be okay.
2: Than almost anyone else. So it kind of includes Aragorn in that because this is a guy that just he's been around, he's seen it and he and he knows what needs mm-hmm. to be done. Aragorn is still kind of on his way there. He's gonna get there, but he's still on his way there. Yeah. And
1: he's got a sleek little half up, half down ponytail situation like Gandalf the White's hair has really stepped up from the first movie and I appreciate we cut to the back of his head and his little like They give him some weird kind of like, it's not a ponytail holder, it's some weird like cloth that's sort of tied around. And I'm like, just imagine Gandalf waking up and like putting that in his hair in the morning. It's very cute and funny.
0: (laughs) Putting some leave-in conditioner or something. Yeah, exactly. Using his
1: hair dryer to straighten his hair.
0: I think you're right. I'm just thinking about his reassuring presence and his like, just the way in which as he approaches Theoden for that exorcism, he has this like very like, it's going to be okay face on. I think just the Ian McKellen just like gets this character in all its iterations and it's really satisfying
2: and again i don't know i don't know about you guys but uh, so trying to put myself back in the mindset of watching this movie for the first time helms deep feels so overwhelming and and all-encompassing that i'm not really waiting for gandalf to turn up i'm not waiting for that and and i like that i like that they are they're kind of holding their own without him or they yeah you know they're, they're 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 doing some damage. They've managed mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. mostly stave them off without him, but him returning means like, oh, it's over. You know, it's done.
0: It's a wrap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just
2: yeah. I I don't I don't watch that. I don't watch that sequence going. A now I've seen it so many times. Oh, when's it, when's Gandalf gonna get here? Because it's just it's just so much fun. But I think the the first time I saw it, I I kind of almost you know you semi forget that you know at, at dawn on the third day, look to the east and you and and then, but then, as soon as it's happening, you're like, "Oh, of course." It all felt so bleak. It all felt like, but yeah, there was this, there was this, this icon about to return. Yeah,
1: yeah. and I mean, I think we're, we've gone so long now, but I think what, just briefly, what makes Helms Deep so special and why it holds up so much is because. Jackson has all of these like mini arcs and mini stories within it. So the the whole, the battle as a whole is the climax of this movie. But then within the battle, there's like the initial big fight. And then there's, you know, the low point of, of Théodon thinking they're lost. But then there's also like fun little comedic subplot of Aragorn and Gimli having to do their little tossing thing. And all these <laughs> little moments. And I think that within that, you're right, Joe, that you kind of like forget about the um, the Gandalf coming back. But then that becomes its own, you know additional climax within that and it's just so beautifully done like i i think still remains the best sort of medieval siege battle in really probably film or tv yeah
0: so as we move through the, the ensemble there's the four four characters who i'm like should we talk about them or not would be saruman arwen elrond and galadriel all of whom are present but don't even really have like full-on scenes
1: yeah they're they're there doing what they need to do i'm not yeah. sure any of them this would be the movie i would point to as a standout for them no, the
0: only note i have is i like Saruman's bold choice on to war <laughs> <laughs> just a crazy delivery
2: i guess just in the context Saruman, we didn't really dig too deep on Wormsung, who brad tariff is such a like i say it's such a specific performance it's great casting again and I I love his kind of like venomous snivelling at Theoden's side, but then like cowering snivelling at Saruman's side, and and, and Chris mm-hmm. and Christopher Lee just has this this authority and presence that to put this snivelling wretch of a man next to him, you are like wow, you really Saruman really yeah. has demeaned himself to be, you know, this is who he's in, this is who he's in league with this guy.
1: I like when he holds that candle a little too close to the bomb. <laughs> Saruman like, just up, like up. pulls his hand yeah. away.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. To be clear, I fully intended to circle back to Grimo last. Because oh, okay. I, I just, I just love Grimo Wormtongue. I think it is a character that you understand in an instant.
3: Mm. For the
0: second he like pops on with this, that is a lie. <laughs> and he, I'd say the same praise that I like heap on McKellen for like, He doesn't waste a single work or gesture to convey his character is absolutely, absolutely true of Greenberg Wormtongue. It's just that his character is, as we've said, this like truly just like one of the most like low ass reprehensible, nasty, slimy guys. It is, it is like the most deliciously, it's, it's, it's like that fun that you get with like just scene chewing wicked villain. Like it is the most deliciously slimy performance and Truly, like, every single line he says, I'm like, oh, yeah, I love that line. (laughs) Like, every line he says, I love. Uh, I could go on and on and on. But um, I don't think I can call him word of the film just based on his, like, being so, so, so whatever's beyond tertiary, you know, to the Mm -hmm. plot. But, damn, do I jump for joy every time he's on screen. (laughs)
1: I love the fantasy trope of like, what should our bad guy be called? I know Grima Wormtongue, <laughs> like, <laughs> that he was just born, and his parents were like, "You'll have a great life, our son, Grima Wormtongue." He's on the path,
2: yeah. So, you know, I was watching these movies as I was reading the Harry Potter books as well. You know, like they were mm-hmm. they were being parcelled out through our childhood, and yeah, and and the fact that there was a wormtail and a worm tongue across those two franchises, who really really occupied
0: the same kind of place in both Uh, of them as well these guys don't seem good
1: yeah that one goes beyond a like homage i would say on jk rowling's part and is just maybe just full-on like theft
0: (laughs) you just took that character and you put it in your (laughs) book as well which i guess that's fine still like an artist maybe sure um but yes uh huge crema fan think he is terrific love all of his shit
1: also, to be fair, I I just pulled up the Wikipedia page. It's possible Wormtongue is more of a nickname than a given name, but yeah. still funny to me to just imagine, I don't know, that anyone would think he would be a good advisor to the king when
0: that is his <laughs> That's his name. His he's, nickname.
2: he's such an interesting actor, Brad deriff where he's done so much stuff in his career, but kind of has just this, like, this pocket full of uh, iconic performances. I mean, I've... Uh, for me, it's this and X Files, right? Which I was never a, a, a huge X File. Well, I wasn't a huge X Files guy when it was first on, but went back and rewatched lo- a load of it. And yeah, the the Brad DeRiff episode of that, where he plays Boggs, is yeah, that's that's like an an all time one episode TV performance, and and yeah, s- similarly kind of like real like skin
0: crawling creepiness. Mm. I gotta check that out.
1: Definitely has got a type. He's a Doroth
0: enjoyer, I gotta, I gotta watch that. Oh, he's so sweet in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, true. But then, you know, he's also Chucky. And yes, you know, I've never, I've never, <laughs> never got along in, I've this never line. done
2: the the Child's Play movies.
0: No, same. But I feel like I've absorbed a
2: lot. Yeah, maybe. Osmosis maybe, and, maybe I need to for for him.
0: And uh, this is a fun thing. I think it's his daughter is currently like playing. And there's a Chucky TV show now, and his daughter in prosthetics, like, plays the character that he played in the 80s. Oh, amazing. The, like, the serial killer who is like, soul goes into Chucky. That's brilliant. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, at, at great length, I think we have basically made our way through the <laughs> ensemble. I'll open the I'll open the floor very briefly for, like, additional shout-outs for bit parts and extras. Anybody else we haven't mentioned that you feel needs some shout-outs? Uh, I
2: like Bruce Hopkins, who plays Gambling uh i'm not i'm not kidding uh he just has a great face <laughs> he, yeah he like for, for me that face is rohan
0: yeah that's a that is a grizzled rohan guy <laughs> you're absolutely right yeah him and hama i uh, r.i.p to hama he's the he's the haunting me the, the haunting death from this one it's the gatekeeper mm. of brie in the first one who gets squished oh, yeah. by the nazgul <laughs> and it's hama who just gets fully his face eaten by a warg we see his little son later on tough
1: times i again think joe mentioned them before but the little first rohan trio we meet the mom that's sending her two kids away like Mm -hmm. really excellent work from all three and such a great job just immediately setting the stakes for what everyone's fighting for um, also need to shout out my single favorite character in this entire film. Oh. The ant that's on fire that oh. sets himself out by putting his head in the water. Shout out to that guy. That You're worrying legend. about him.
0: And then a few shots later, you get that beautiful relief. You're like, incredible. I bet that feels so good.
1: His timing that, that ent actor's timing.
2: The, the, the designs in general, like the, the fact that they've all mm-hmm. got their own kind of weird thing going on and the way, and, and the way that they move is so specific. Yeah. That, that that you know that and putting his head in the water is up there with aragorn opening the doors
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely those are the two best moments <laughs> and we've kind of shouted them out but i want to shout out speaking of trios the uh meats back on the menu i want to yeah. eat those hobbits and what about their legs guys those <laughs> those three orcs all of whom if i'm not mistaken are voiced by andy circus that's oh, that really that may be a bit wow. of like that may be a bit of apocrypha but i i'm pretty sure actually that he he provided like the ADR for all of those characters, so it's just him, I would believe it. Yeah, his great voice work three times. Any other favorite scenes that or like things that stuck out to you on this rewatch that you really wanted to mention?
1: Here's just a few quick. Here's a few quick little. Please notes I took. Yeah, <laughs> this just lets you into the psychotic mindset I was in throughout <laughs> watching these. I one note I took the yesification of Gandalf. That was how I described his <laughs> transformation from the gray to the white. Really um, I'm obsessed inaccurate. with the capes that turn into rocks. The elven capes oh, that just like, yes. become a rock. I love so that. So fucking cool. I
2: love that. I love that every time.
1: In my life, I have never wanted to eat anything more than I want to eat lambis bread. I wish I could eat it. It looks so appealing to me.
2: <laughs> Do you know what? It It has it has the vibe to me of I, I got uh, brought up in a like semi-religious family. And I remember as a kid just... I really wanted to eat those wafers at church. I was like, oh. as, And as a kid, you don't you don't go up and have them. And then when I was old enough, I was like, "Huh?" Yeah, they're very dry. That's a tasteless dry wafer. Huh. Yeah, I kind of feel like exactly what I kind is. of feel like lumber spread would be that. That it lo- <laughs> yeah, maybe it, it, lo- it would be. <laughs> it looks incredible, but you know, <laughs> there's a, there's a reason you don't just snarf the whole loaf. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Maybe I would be disappointed. Um, my last is slightly more more serious note is I love the way this movie uses you only hear the Shire theme twice you hear it once right at the very beginning when they are talking about the Lambus bread and Frodo's like oh Sam nothing gets you down like around that time you hear it and then it's right at the end after again the really really beautiful beautifully delivered by Sean Astin monologue about stories and hope and there's some good in this world which I think is all so exquisitely done from a filmmaking point of view and from a certainly an acting point of view from Aston's part. But right at the end, it's like they connect Frodo and Sam, you know, like make eye contact. And then the Shire theme starts again. And it is Mm -hmm. that sense of like, oh, everything's going to be okay. And it's just like really, you know, the music in these movies is obviously incredible. But I think that little grace note is such a lovely sort of like High point before the somewhat more ambiguously uh, unsettling actual ending of the movie.
0: Some things for my notes. I want to shout out the reveal, that fake out where the Nazgul shows up like a third way through the movie. You're like, oh, I remember these guys and the horses they ride on. And then at this gag, <laughs> the visual gag of it slowly pulling back and be like, no, he's on a big fucking dragon now. So that's very race fun.
1: on wings. Yes.
0: Um, we said that Gimli doesn't have the pathos moments that Treebeard does, but we are forgetting when Gimli says he fell was his little voice breaks, yeah. breaks, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> that is nice. And I said, if you don't get goosebumps at the last March of the Ends, then I just don't even know what to say mm. to you. I've sort of talked about that scene before, but man, gets me every time. Great notes. Great film. I don't have a hot take. Last time we did this segment where I asked for hot takes, I don't have anything right now.
2: I think the ho- I th- I think the hot take that we've delivered is that Treebeard is the is the better Sean Rhys-Davies performance. I, I like it. I buy that. I'll co-sign that one. I think that's our hottest take.
0: So that brings us now to our final segment, The Lord of the Film, which is to choose your single favorite performance from Two Towers. Tough, but anyone ready to jump in?
1: Yeah, I can go. So I, um, I mean, we, we spent like a, a full hour talking about him, but... That hour was a while ago (laughs) because I'm actually gonna go not with my beloved Aragorn, but with Andy Serkis as Smeagol slash Gollum. Like I really that was uh, that was my big takeaway from this rewatch was just kind of trying with fresh eyes to appreciate just how great that performance is. And for me, what it comes down to almost is just imagine like being handed those lines on a page and having to create the character for it, you know, and then not only that, but commit to doing that character while you are wearing the most ridiculous looking, you know, motion (laughs) capture body suit, suit, pretending to be a little grotesque creature that at that point, they probably didn't even fully know what it would look like in practice and having to act alongside people that are just dressed up as hobbits. Like when you actually think about the mechanics of how that performance was created, I think it just makes it all the more impressive what what Circus was able to do with such conviction and gravitas and humor and yeah, Gollum's just my little dude and I am um, <laughs> I really came away from this just <laughs> loving him and his little fish songs.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I had a look at my spreadsheet, so this was this was the, the last <laughs> the last time I watched this movie. The three performances that I put in there were Bernard Hill, uh, Viggo Mortensen, mm-hmm. and Andy Circus, and uh, yeah, I have to go back to. You know, me, twelve, thirteen years old, watching this movie for the first time, I was just obsessed with Gollum, and you know, like I, I, I had been so excited for the promise of that character because, like, I remember when I watched the, when I watched Fellowship of the Ring, I was like. Oh my weird little dude from the Hobbit is in this. <laughs> oh, you know because e- e- what
1: has he got in his pocketsies?
2: Yeah, <laughs> like I, I just when I was a, when I was a kid, yeah, I'm sure everyone who reads the Hobbit, which is like be- a very episodic novel, like every chapter is its own mini little story. You know, we do the trolls, and then we do the uh, yeah, and then it's goblins, and then yeah, and then it's got and the golem one is like e- you know everyone walks away is like you know it's it's one chapter in the middle of that but it's so so good and you're like at the promise of Gollum to be lived up to for me as a as a kid but i was yeah i was obsessed with him like that was when, when i was coming back to this movie time and time again it was because i wanted more Gollum, and i think you know i like like i said i think I don't think Andy Serkis is, like, the most talented actor. I think he's good at doing a certain thing. I think he's been smart to really specialise in performance capture. And and it's a style of performance that really lent... Uh, you know, I don't know what Andy Serkis would be like in this... To this, extent, to, to this extent in live action, because, you know, we see a glimpse of it at the start of Return of the King, and I think it's good, but it's it's slightly off. It doesn't feel quite like it feels... It's, tr- it's tricky because he's trying to match the Gollum performance to, to you know, someone in live action. But it's just the perfect pitch for Gollum. It's an iconic character. It's a character that had been iconic in literature for decades, and is fully realised and brought to life. And yes, I do think a, a big part of it is the visual effects. But that that is an Andy Serkis performance, and it's mm-hmm. uh, and and for me, yeah, it's it's like, what do I walk away from this film? like what's what's the thing that dominates it in my head and it is for all that as i said i think it's like it's not much plot happens over there but i'm walking away from this film thinking about Gollum, and as you said that final sequence where you're like oh shit Gollum's back that's the you know that's the bit that you're you're worried about going into film three is Mm -hmm. oh my god and, and the facts that like you're, you're like it's, it's it's tragic as well because you you were you were so rooting for this creepy little yeah. dude
1: yeah yeah you really yeah 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 exactly
0: i think my like overall life take on this film would be that i would have to like go i would have to third that and say that Gollum is the lord of the film like without Andy Serkis you just don't have lord of the rings franchise in nearly the same way it's just like he is a key part of it but to mix it up and and Based on my experience of my most recent rewatch, my lord of the film will be Bernard Hill as Theoden. Nice. Um, I just think it's like watching like a great King Lear or like it just has yeah. so much like it just makes me feel like the, the struggles of a king are dramatically interesting and worth looking at. And his like human weariness and self-doubt and just flaws, but like his ultimate like goodness and bravery and his also... Like getting to do that, like nasty laugh when he's possessed. Like I just think he gives a <laughs> terrific performance, and it was the one this time that stuck out to me. So he's going to be my lord of the film. Nice,
2: and and also just I, I don't we didn't mention this. What a face! What like you oh know, yeah, just what just, just yeah. one of those faces that you that is just it demands to be on screen The the, the mm. like the kind of the calluses and the bags under his eyes and the and the the long scraggly blonde hair it's he looks the way that, that you want Theoden to look and yeah. I, and, and I love like for, I, I'm sure for most people he's probably best known from Titanic outside of this <laughs> and, and, and I love that, another
1: great performance yeah, yeah
2: but and I love that the, the the baggage that you bring into this movie is oh, that's the guy that steered them into the iceberg. He's taking us. <laughs> the- he's, 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 gui- he's guiding us to Helm's Deep. Shit.
0: Yeah. Shit. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Man, that shot in Lord of the Rings where, he's, where it just starts to rain on them at Helm's Deep and oh. he just kind of like takes it in. Man, love that. So good. So with that, we are going to conclude today's discussion. Uh, we will be taking this podcast all the way to Mount Doom next episode uh, when we will be joined Spoiler by alert. our new guest we're very excited about. Well, we're going to be getting there. Who knows what will happen to us when <laughs> yeah, we arrive.
1: True. Will we leave with all of our fingers? It we remains to be seen. We still have
0: an hour and a half of the film when we arrive, you know. But before that time, we want to say thank you, Joe, for joining us for this very long leg of our quest. Uh, it was awesome to have you back.
2: No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for indulging. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I know I'm the reason for the length of this podcast, but once I start. You're not,
3: our
1: first one went equally long. I think it's just <laughs> you can't do Lord of the Rings without oh. trying to beat the runtime of Lord of the
2: Rings. But it's yeah, it's it's just a world that I continually love spending time in, and yeah, and discussing this movie is a joy, and discussing it with you guys has been uh has, has been a particular joy. So thank you for having me. Aww. On.
0: Much appreciated, Joe. Uh, Where can our listeners find you at?
2: So I'm on Twitter at JoeCunningham14 and, uh, yeah, um, co-host of the Cinematic Universe podcast, uh, which we are at cine underscore verse on Twitter.
1: Great podcast. You guys have a, a main feed that anybody can access. Also an excellent Patreon, I will say, if people want to sign up and listen to your superhero movie Hot takes, you guys always do yeah. great stuff. So, what yeah, highly we're, recommend. We're both
0: subscribers to the Patreon. Oh, yeah. It's awesome.
1: Got to listen to your you very much. your Black Panther <laughs> episode. It's in my queue.
0: Nice to be in such a good little podcasting community. <laughs> makes me feel warm. <laughs> Roll calling is produced and recorded by us, Ned Baker and Caroline Cedar. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at RollCalling, or you can email us at RollCalling at gmail.com. That's Roll, R-O-L-E. We'll be back soon with Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Until then,
1: justice for Faramir. (laughs)